Hello, Blenders, and welcome to episode number 75 of Real Blend, a podcast that is roughly 24 hours away from sitting down with Quentin Tarantino. What is that? That's, a, that's, what the, that's the sound effect the cool kids use. Oh. Bam, bam. Uh, th- all right, isolate that, Gabe, please. We're gonna- I, I'm sorry. You, you're the only one that gets to add sound effects at the beginning of the show. Oh, now I'm going to find that sound effect. You know what I'm talking about, right? I know exactly. What I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, Hold yeah. On. I'm going to do. Think kids do. It's like I hear a lot of songs. Kids sound effects. Uh, uh, by the, I'm Sean O'Connell, managing director here at Cinema Blend. I'm introducing Kevin and Jake. Boy, say hello. Can you? Can I just rewind back for a second of what you just said? You can if you want to. Um, yes. I, 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 we're 24 hours away from. This monumental thing. We're interviewing Quentin Tarantino. That doesn't sound real to me. Right. And it's also something that I'm genuinely scared about jinxing. Because as we sit here right now, we are in a hotel room in L.A. We have seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we are less than 20, about 24 hours away from our scheduled interview with in my opinion, the greatest director living today. Now, we need to emphasize it's not in this episode. Like we're, we're nice. Yes, we are all here in L.A. Uh, we're going to interview Tarantino tomorrow from where we are, um, but we're not going to be able to run it until July 25th. 5th, July 25th. The day before the movie opens. Yes, right. um, and so we're not quite sure how the conversation is going to go, whether it's going to be kind of spoilery yeah. or not. Um, it's not a spoilery movie, necessarily. No, and we're, and we're going to come back, back to all this with Tarantino, but I, yeah. I, but I, I just want to say that um, as somebody, and I think Jake and Sean and Gabe would agree, uh, we started this podcast a year and a half ago uh, as an awards podcast, uh, Sean brought us all together, and we thought it was going to run eight weeks. We thought it was gonna, just going to be for the Oscars, turn into an actual film podcast. In my opinion, selfishly, I love doing it because I get to talk to about movies with my, two of my best friends, three of my best friends, for <laughs> Two of my best friends and Gabe. Well, on the air, <laughs> two of them. Gabe is producing. Um, but the, it is a dream that we get to do this show, and to me it's a bonus that people actually listen to it and then it's a bonus even more that we have a community of people who actually love listening to our show and engage with us. That's it. That's the sound effect. That's it, right? I found it. Yeah. Hold so, on. Sorry, Kevin. I didn't no, it's okay. No, no, no. It's fine. I, it was I was really... just in the middle of an emotional was... model. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> but, oh, can we just say, we, you guys have also been Continue. burying the lead. <laughs> I found it. You're buried, and it's the perfect time to address this. I found it. Because this so rarely happens. <laughs> Gabe is in the room with us. Gabe, don't say anything. <laughs> Well done. Yes, You're very insightful. Yeah. Thank you, Gabe. We appreciate it. All right, but he even breathes with, with, with like an "I'm better than you" kind of breath. So we're no, too. That, the, the breathing translation was wrap it up, please move it. On. <laughs> That's what I heard. Uh, we do have a very exciting interview to run in this week's episode for uh, people Can who I are finish what I was listening. Saying? Well, go ahead. I just, I, but I love that you're like, we're going to move on past Tarantino. But first, let me talk for 20 minutes about Tarantino. It's been 20 minutes. I was, I was just saying that I'm very grateful to be a part of this group. And I'm grateful that we had gotten to this point in yeah. our careers oh, that incredible. we get to talk to Quentin Tarantino. It's incredible. Thank we're you. Gonna talk yes. about now, you guys move on with your Midsommar stuff. It is mid- Yes, it's Midsommar yes. because we have Ari Aster, the director of Midsommar, who joined us for a conversation um, in the interim from when we recorded episodes last. And we held this to be a a very, very uh, spoilery deep dive into the nightmare that is Midsommar, which was... 
Jake, your favorite movie yeah. of the year. Yeah, I, until, I love that movie. Until love that movie. Tarantino's um, movie came around. I, uh, but isn't it crazy, though, not to like pat ourselves on the back, but I'm going to do it anyway, that we're getting so many interviews that we're at a point where like we have to hold some of them yeah. to find places to... We're now at a point where when we think about potentially getting someone... We have to genuinely look at our schedule and go, can we fit this person in? Right. Gabe still doesn't know if we're going to air Tarantino or not. Right. He's got to listen to it yeah. first. He'll let us know. And Tarantino, if you are and listening Feige to this. still hasn't made the show. <laughs> no, and I'm not sure if he's going to make the show, to be honest Kevin Feige did not make Real Blend. Gabe, can I actually, can I tease when Kevin Feige's going to run? Yes, it's official. All right, Kevin Feige's going to be on next week's show. We're going to oh! run. We're going to release the Feige cut. Uh, Hashtag on release the Feige. Number 76, and that means Tarantino will forever be number 77 of and seven's wow. my favorite number, and it's double sevens, right. and yeah, it's a lot going on. How cool would it have been if it was episode eighty-eight, though? Oh, that'd that be really could cool. you imagine let's if just it was? Hold it till it, then. It, it, okay, let's hold, hold it till episode eighty-eight. <laughs> Can we just jump to eighty-eight? No one cares about the content. The DVD of release of. <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. The longer cut. All right. Reviews. Speaking of numbers and being very important, um, last time we recorded, I asked you guys to please get us to 60 reviews because we were stuck on 59 and that was annoying me. <laughs> and I have to give credit to Charles Gibber, who gave us uh, review number 60. And he said, great podcast. Awesome group of guys. The time flies when I listen to it. No more OCD, which he was doing for me. I say thank you very much for getting me to a nice round number 60. Well, no sooner uh, did that land then um, someone named Jake's Takes 88. Now, why'd you put 88 there? I don't know. Oh, um, I think I needed a number, and that's the year I was born. Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh, and it says, just because I want to annoy Sean, here's the 61st review. So we were at 61 automatically. Now, we've since bumped up to where? 62? Four? Four. 64, right? Wow. Three? 63? So I... <laughs> I don't know. We're all, you know what's I, weird? Gabe's a in the room one, with us, yeah, and we can't understand what he's saying. That's why it's weird. A so new when, one when just we, dropped. A new we, one landed today. When we Skype, we look at Gabe for reactions of when to move on. <laughs> right. Now we're physically looking at him. Yes. And in the room. Still and, we, and we can't get no it. No sound. We can't figure out what he's saying. <laughs> By the way, like he talks very openly on Hero Blend. Yes. Well, he's, he's, a, he's a co-lead. Right. But he doesn't exist. Vocally. Kevin, have you been invited to be on? No, I think Sean has. I've been on a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Jake, a, have you been invited? It's really fun. It's really fun. It's a really? good time. Anyway, you guys should listen to Hero Blend also. One more review, an actual official review from someone named Manda0107, who says, subject line, so much fun. I cannot stop cackling when I listen to these guys. They are so entertaining, so knowledgeable, and I love the banter between them. I've been a longtime fan of Kevin's, and I'm happy to have been introduced to Sean and Jake through this podcast. Easily my favorite podcast and a must-listen to for any movie fan. Thank you, Manda0107. We really appreciate Thank that. Thank you for listening to our show. Yeah. And, yeah, like, uh, in the middle of my emotional monologue that got cut off by <laughs> a uh, a music sound effect, I, 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 I just genuinely so want to say that that type of review <laughs> is what I'm talking about. Like, this was this is literally a, a, a moment where we all get together every week and just talk movies, and it's just amazing to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. And it's just amazing to me that we now have the ability to talk to our heroes in this setting. Dude, it's my, insane. It's insane because it's I, we're, insane almost, we're almost we're like almost glancing over the fact that we spoke with Kevin Feige um, right. 
you know, b- because we have Tarantino on the horizon, yeah. that we're like, oh yeah, and by the way, Kevin Feige is going to well, be on the show. It, don't you kind of find that's an interesting? I don't know if I want to say the downside to this job, but we see movies so early and we immerse ourselves in movies so early, yeah. and then by nature of our jobs, we have to move on to the next one. Right. But oftentimes, by the time a movie actually comes out in theaters for yes. the general public. I kind of ha- sometimes have this attitude of like oh, I've already moved on. Yeah. Like 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 I'm like because like, everyone I mean like with you know like with Spider Man like everyone was so excited I'm like oh, like, I already saw Spider Man like I've already moved on like I was so focused on Tarantino I was like yeah, yeah. when Spider Man came out and everyone was finally getting to talk about it I was like I don't really want to talk about it anymore I'm good. <laughs> yeah, and one thing about Tarantino is, and, and our, our, over our text conversation we've had all week um, we've been debate like, I'm a, I'm OCD about uh, superstitions and jinxes so I have still not come to terms with the fact that we might be sitting down with him tomorrow. I love that you say might. I am still so cautious. You know, like we're recording this in Beverly Hills. We have, we're here. We have a confirmation. We have a sheet of paper that actually has our name on it with our time of our hotel room, three hundred five to three twenty-five. We saw the movie. We saw the movie. movie. (laughs) One of the very few people that saw the movie. But I'm a little weird. I don't accept it until that person walks in the room. Right, right. Is it because it's a you're afraid of being disappointed? No, I think it's like I think I'm worried about like. I think I think ultimately it's superstition. Like like if I build it up too much and I, I don't know. There's something about maybe like when he walks in and tomorrow, I'll still be excited. Things like, change in this you know industry. I mean? They really do change. So like times get changed. People yeah, drop out. I'm just very cautious and weird about that kind of stuff. Yeah. So if you hear me talking today in a sense that I don't know if we're talking to him, that's why. All right. So later on, we're going to have uh, Ari Oster on the show. We're going to do a deep dive into Midsommar. If you guys went to go check that movie out, um, we're going to reveal a lot of details about the making of that film. He talks a lot about how he jumped right from Hereditary to Midsommar. We talk about a lot of the big twists in that film. Um, and it so, is pronounced Midsommar. Midsommar, which we were not sure of he until he, that, he right? pronounced it for us. Yeah, yeah, he said it that way. But let's get to news as we normally do. Not a lot going on right now. We want to save our time to talk about um, a few other bigger topics here, but I want to get into the Knives Out trailer because it's uh, Ryan Johnson's new film. He looks to be doing a Clue-esque murder mystery with an incredible ensemble. What'd you guys think of that trailer when it dropped? I mean, it's no murder mystery. Uh, what? It's no murder the, mystery. The Adam Sandler? Yes. Jennifer Aniston? Yeah. <laughs> you are alone on that hill defending no, that film. No, uh, Ash. Oh yeah, she likes yeah, it too? Ash. Okay. I thought it was fine. Yeah, but I don't understand like the <laughs> hatred behind that. Movie. Didn't you say it was better than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? He did. Uh, he's, it's like in his top three. Joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I think it looks fun. It looks like a lot of fun. I like those kind of movies. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, and he seems. It seems like the cast is having a great time. It seems like Daniel Craig is having a great time. When was the last time it looked like he was having a good time making a movie? A long time. Um, so it really having all those people together. And uh, Evans, Chris Evans looks yeah, like he's having Evans a blast. Like he's, like he's having a blast. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, too, is that a fun movie where it looks like the cast is having a great time yeah. usually translates into we're going to have a good time. So I'm going to read out the cast for this um, because it is pretty spectacular. If you guys have not seen, it, it is kind of a, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. I went to Clue, but I'm trying to think of somebody else. Um, like a big Clue's time. the perfect example for it. So it's Chris, uh, Chris Evans, Daniel Craig, Catherine Langford, Tony Collette, Michael Shannon, Jamie Lee Curtis, Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, Christopher Plummer, Don Johnson. Um, it's just, it's a murder's row of great, great character actors. And I just, I mean, if you tell me that Michael Shannon and Tony Collette are in anything together, yeah, I forget about everybody else who's in it too. So, um, yeah, it looks really interesting. I'm glad to see Ryan Johnson, you know, stepping away from the Star Wars franchise for a little bit. Um, getting Were you back surprised to- that the trailer said from the director of Star Wars The Last Jedi? <laughs> I was very surprised they included that. Yeah. I couldn't believe they included that. Really, actually. really. I, oh, well. Also, one because it doesn't necessarily say that 
like nothing about Last Jedi makes you think that he's going to be successful at doing Knives well, Out. They're so right. completely different. Films. Right, right, right. But if you include all of his other yeah. films, like you would never put be... on the Hugo trailer, you would never say like from the director of Wolf of Wall Street. No. Here's this little cute family film. On this movie, it would have been more appropriate for Looper and Brick. Sure. Right. Exactly. Right. Or Brothers uh, Bloom. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'm that very much confused. Really. Me. Really. I almost think that that wasn't a Ryan Johnson choice. Okay. I mean, this is a small studio. I think it's Lionsgate. And I, I also can't imagine Johnson's at a place where he has final say on trailer. Um, I don't know. You think, you're lying. You think it's, he, it's yeah. a monumentally successful film that he directed, though. Yeah, that's like, right, though. No, it's, but it wasn't it's good. a successful film. I mean, like, what, like, what trailer is going to say, like, Michael Bay from the, for the, from the director of Transformers 3? <laughs> Fair enough. That's fine. But J.A. Bayonne is always going to have Fallen Kingdom on. Really? He does. You think so? Sure, why not? Why it's a would successful you? film. From, from the director of the first half of Fallen Kingdom. Oh, God. Guys, yes, I'm that, geeking out. So I, while we were talking about Knives Out, I was looking up, because uh, Ryan Johnson's one of the few filmmakers who actually still shoots on film. Oh, yeah. And I was looking at his tech specs for uh, Knives Out, and I don't know if IMDb is correct, but it looks like he shot on the Aria Alexa 65, which is a digital camera. Um, so then that led me down the path of, because you guys, we've all we've already been discussing a lot about what we're going to be asking Quentin Tarantino, um, and we'll get to this. If like, we get him. If we get him. Uh, later on in the interview, um, in the show, we'll discuss it more, but I, I want to really break down with him the different types of film stock he used. So I went to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood while we were talking about Knives Out, and I was right. He used 16, 35, and 8, and three different aspect ratios. So I cannot wait to freaking talk to him about that. <laughs> but anyways, back to the Knives Out. Um, I, yeah, I'm curious why it's not shot on film, if that's correct. That could be wrong. But Ryan Johnson's always shot on film. He shot yeah. Brick on film, Looper on film, Brothers Blue on film, Star Wars was shot on film. That surprises me Maybe Star Wars was shot to on film. Keep well, JJ down. shot Star Wars on film, too. Uh, uh, episode seven and nine are shot film thirty five. Really? Well, you saw it on film, did I? Yeah, you oh, saw at the IMAX. So uh, the entire it's a memorable experience for you. The, the entire <laughs> the Millennium Falcon sequence is sixty five mil. Right, right, right. That was full blown IMAX. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, can you really say that that's film though? The yeah, Millennium Falcon you... sequence. Um, it's all. It's all. No, digital. the shots are film. It's oh, shot I see what you're saying. Like they didn't have an yeah, actual. He didn't, he didn't shoot it on film. Yeah, 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 still, yeah. there's still the, the actors, the landscapes. Like there's still things. The, there. the Millennium Falcon chasing the Tie Fighters. That scene is 65 mil. Yeah, I mean, there's digital. Yeah, I mean, I saw. I saw it in IMAX. I saw. I saw it when it blew up. But like, he didn't. Yeah, you know. I know what you're saying. Yeah, he shot he it. Shot the actors. Okay, the actors like inside that. Then, no, but then, like when Ray picks up and starts running towards. Um, that whole running sequence? Yeah. That's all 65 millimeters. When I, when I, when I think of the Millennium Falcon, I'm, th I'm thinking the Millennium Falcon. He's thinking the, the chase Falcon. where it swoops down and does around and yeah. goes through and all yeah. that jazz. So, yeah. all right. Anyways, so Tarantino out. shot three different formats, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> In Thank case you. you guys haven't realized, we're going to go back to Tarantino often yes. throughout the course of this episode. We haven't even spoken to him yet. Uh, oh, Gabe. So when we finally do Gabe's talk to him, we right are now. going to be insufferable. So prepare for that, please. I disagree. I think when we talk to... You're talking about... Oh, you're talking about after. I'm saying after. Because I, I think in the moment, we're going to be... It's going to be a very, very controlled... Like, we're we're actually having what Kevin and I refer to as geek out dinners. Um, and uh, Sorry, I'm stretching. I'm moving my leg there. There we go. Now I'm in a better Why position. are you shaking your head, Gabe? 
Gabe's shaking his head for some weird reason. Hey, why are you shaking your head? Because we'll come back to that. We have a whole segment. <laughs> Gabe speaks! Yay! Finally. All right, let's move on. You know all what's right, funny, good. Gabe? We actually did that all that on purpose yep. <laughs> just to get you to speak. It's been a bit. So thank you. Kevin is pushing really hard for us to get into Stranger Things Season 3 reactions. Amazing. I'm going to just say that the reason why we're not going to go as deep into this dive is because I'm only halfway through Season 3, so I'm preventing them from talking uh, at length about it. But Gabe... And Kevin are both really big fans of it. So, Kevin, I'm going to turn the floor over to you and talk about why you are such a big fan of what they're doing in season three. Well, season three, to me, is the most relatable season of the, of the series because the kids are at an age where I remember very specifically doing things that they were doing. Sneaking into R-rated movies, going to the malls with my friends. Um, and to me, what makes Stranger Things so fascinating is how grounded the characters are in a very supernatural sci-fi environment. So, I find myself completely embraced and in, in, and immersed in their situation and believing and wanting outcomes for characters that I actually care about. Um, even the quote-unquote villain of this particular season, which I won't get into, um, there was a part of me that wanted him or him or her to um, somehow break free of whatever villain. You Billy. Well, is that, can we say that? I think so. It's in the first, that episode. In the first episode. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's yeah. in the trailer. Right, it's in the, I it's right. love right. Billy as a character. Me too. So Billy... <laughs> Right, but in season two, he was a jerk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in season three, I genuinely... And you haven't gotten towards the end yet, but I think that there's there's an arc for him. I, I, I genuinely cared for his... Sister, I don't know. There's a whole thing with it. You'll see. Okay. But um, I think the production value on this show is unlike anything I've seen on television. I mean, I know Game of Thrones is great and all, but like, I think that this particular... Season. There's a shot in, in episode one. You, do you think the production value, take away how you feel about the season, the production value of Stranger Things is better than the production value on Game of Thrones? Yes. Come on, dude. No, see, you're thinking Come about on, on a grander man. scale. I'm talking about, like, details. I think I think uh, Stranger Things is a better production than Game of Thrones. I really do. That's Gabe, interesting. Gabe, am I completely far off here? I'm going to say I that the effects in this season are much better. I've noticed that right off the bat. Like, it seems they put more money into the effects. If you go back and watch Daenerys flying on dragons in season four, it looks like she's on a green screen. No, but I mean, but by season eight, though, like, it they really... Fine. The, the, the dragon fi- uh, flying in the the uh, the Long Night episode looked like garbage because you couldn't see any of it. Well, that's that's right, that anyways, episode's um, issue. Don't get me I'm going gonna, The only thing I'm going to say, um, and before I turn it over to Jake, is that I, I know his criticism of it uh, or one of them at least, and I feel this through the first four episodes, and it doesn't bother me as much, but it's going to start bothering me if this keeps happening. Jake calls it repetitive. Yeah, I I, I thought the third season's fun. It's a really enjoyable show to watch, but I'm starting to feel that like the structure of each season yeah. is the same. Mm-hmm. The setup is the same. The pace is kind of the same, and to the point where like my biggest complaint about this season is that the ultimate goal at the end of this season is the exact same. Okay. So, and and one of my and this is just a small little pet peeve because I, I always but have. Does it close the rift? Yes. Oh God! It's really? the exact same. Okay. And my my little pet peeve about this is that these crazy things keep happening to these characters. Right. And yet every season we come back to them, when weird things start happening around them, they almost treat it as like, what could it possibly be? Yeah, like, yeah. what the hell do you think it could possibly be? <laughs> That's then, not at, true. At one point, yes, it is. No, it took they four all episodes. know what it is. It took four episodes they before they closed, Justin they they closed and it. the other guy turned around Steve. and goes, do you, Steve, and go, do you, do you think it could be? They what the hell else? They closed it. How would they, what else would they think it is? What else do you mean? What do you, if something There's weird no is, demogorgon you, you've flying gone around through, that show. You've gone through massive experiences of monsters running around through your town. 
a year from now, if something weird happens, that would be your first. That should that should be the first thing you think of. Disagree. Right. The first thing you think of. Disagree. I bet it's some weird monster shit. Right. That should be the. Like, it no, should no, no, no. take you four episodes. Weird to go, monster I wonder stuff if makes sense. I wonder if. But it's not right. the same thing maybe, this time. Maybe, you think it's the same thing, but it's not. It is. Not the it's same the thing. Same. It's not the same. Sean thing. just said it. Is it it's not the you same. You can sit here thing. and go, well, this tiny thing's different. Yeah, you can. No. You're the first person that walks out of a movie if it's at all similar to any other movie. You go, that movie could totally sue. Yeah, like, it, which but it's is Stranger like, Things. It exists in the same world as Stranger Things. Yeah, but, but at a certain not. point, it'd be nice if Stranger Things were different than the last Stranger Here's Things. Here's an example. It is different. Here's an example. They're, Adam, they're older and they're dealing with it more emotionally. Age does not make my, a difference. I completely disagree with you. In the first three seasons you, so far, Winona Ryder is always kind of like onto something strange. Like she's like, something weird is going on here, and she has to like actively convince people. Whereas like by now, every single time, they should be like, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, like, you're you know what you're right. talking about you're because right. for two seasons prior, you've told us some like, stuff. Don't you sort of feel like all the characters have to go through the same paces? Well, the one character in particular man. that's really driving me nuts and through the first four yeah. seasons is Will. Like, Will, he does the thing where he touches yeah. the back of his neck. That's, that's and a great drinking like, game. Every time he touches the back of his neck, Yeah, it's and it's just, I feel bad for that kid as an actor because they just keep he's asking a, he's him a to play. Great actor. He had a lot to do in season two I thought was great. Oh, I think Will's character in this season's brilliant. What I, does he do other than touch the back of his neck? Exactly, that, that's such a minimalistic approach to looking at that character. I When I look at Will, I see, to me, I grew up in a very bullying uh, and a very um, strange... I, I grew up very bullied. You bullied kids? No, I bullied. Oh, no, 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 I didn't bully people. Bully, I bullied, bullied It would be crazy me. to see I'm Kevin bullying people. Yeah, I kind of want to see it. No. You don't like Tarantino enough. No, my point is, I understand <laughs> Will's Emotions. So this season, Will is so torn up that his friendship. Okay, okay, I agree with you, but they drop that after like the first episode. No, they don't. Yes, they do. No, they, they don't. Yes. Oh, let, they, me, let, they me, drop let me finish what I'm saying. So they, Will's arc this season is the idea that he was taken away to the upside down and missed out on aspects of this friendship that has now changed because of girlfriends and people getting older. And I think to me, the struggle of Will's character this season is that idea that he wants things to be the way they always were. He does. And he doesn't want change. And I could not m- more agree and relate to that. Like, like I grew up, like, this right see, now. I agree with that, but I don't think they explored it enough. See, I, I, I mean, it hit me, though. I have a sidebar to that. I have actually a question. Have you seen that argument where they have the argument about uh, girls and. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Mike asks Will a question, or he says something when they're when they're arguing. He says something along the lines of like, "I'm sorry, you don't like girls." Right? Is that an implication that Will might be gay? I or think is that it's an implication impli- that he's just not interested. Well, he's just in not girls interested into girls at yet. the moment. Yeah, I, I, that's how I took it. Because the show, and then you're probably right. But I, did anyone else? I, I question got that, that line. I got that a little bit too. See, growing yeah, up when I bit. growing up there, I had friends that were that would go out with that would were more interested. I was more interested in going to the movies growing up sure. than I was going out like on dates right. in like middle school. Dude, I'm I'm 31. I'm still that way. Okay, so my point is, is that <laughs> this like could be why I'm single. <laughs> this this might sound strange, but and I've said this before. I mean, I'm married. I love my wife more than anything. But when you're like, what comes after butts? We're going to protect you. No, no, you sure? There's no protection here. Okay. Let's okay. This is a dangerous. Okay. I love my wife more than anything. But no, 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 it's a very no, 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 dangerous no, 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 beginning no, no. to a sentence. Before okay. I met my wife, um, if you asked me to go out with my friends to a movie, yeah, or go on a date with someone random, sure, I'd go to the movies with my friends. Okay. So my point is, like, Lauren's my best friend. So going to the movies Wait, with what? Lauren. Is going to the movies with Lauren is literally the greatest thing ever because she's my wife 
and she's my best friend. So like oh, to I lost me, to Gabe and Kevin in the matter. Oh, of my honestly. point that I'm making is when I was a kid, I felt like Will in the sense that like I didn't want things to change. I wanted to keep playing quote unquote D and D with my friends. I didn't want life to get in the way of our friendship. And I think that I think of that right now. I'm 35 years old. I'm sitting here with you guys and I don't want this to ever change. Right. But you are currently in this moment diving deeper into this thought than Stranger Things does. No, see, but th- but if Stranger Things did this to me, it, it, Stranger Things approached from? the idea it's very and then drops life. it for like six episodes and then touches on it at the end. No, see, okay. but they, that's the, to me that's one of the most I fascinating aspects of the you. season, and they completely drop the ball see, and, and discard it. I felt Will's emotions the entire season. I found myself. He had nothing. He has nothing to do for like six see, episodes. I think, I think, other than touch the back of his neck. That, that's such a minimalistic approach to looking at his character. It's not, because it's all he does. But, my, okay, here's the thing. And, and then we'll move on. I'm a very emotional You're person. You're welcome, Gabe. Very emotional person. So I have a very hard time with change. Mm. And, like, comfort of going to a movies with my friends, playing uh, games with my friend Pogs, whatever it was we used to do when we were kids, those things were comfort moments for me that as I got older, people's lives changed Families got divorced. Whatever happened, think people moved away. And it was hard for me as a person to accept that change and move on to different things. So when I mentioned being married to my wife, the but was before being married, I genuinely just wanted to hang out with my friends and just go to the movies. So the fact that I married Lauren, as she's my best friend, I get the best of both worlds is kind of what I was trying to get at. I get that, but just because a show brings up an idea that you can relate to on a much deeper level, because I, I get that idea too, doesn't mean that they successfully explored the idea themselves. But if it hit me, it hit me. It, yeah, yeah, I get that. And it also hit me too, mm-hmm. but... That's why I'm frustrated because I felt like it hit me and I thought, oh, great. I love that they are touching on this. And then I was disappointed because they just kind of let that idea go. You know what this reminds me of? What was the other day we were talking about that movie and we all saw something different and you saw a parent perspective from it? Uh, it was very, something very specific. It was a scene in 127 hours. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he looked forward to the future that he might not have if he doesn't get out of that rock. That scene did not hit me like yeah. it hit you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think Will's character reminded me a lot of. I kind of felt like I was, like I don't know. There were like I there was times in my growing up that I felt like I wanted to keep things the same. Yeah. And life just moved things on. I think that's great. I think and to me, any that's type of show or movie when you can find a character like that that you relate. But to, see, to me, but, but like. On that show specifically, when I look at that show, I see more of me and like Mike, like Finn Wolfhard. But 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 Will's character arc, yeah. that arc. The only reason I'm going so deep into this is because was Jake was saying it was so minimalistic, and which is fine. And that's actually a criticism I'm seeing from a lot of people who are watching the show that Will had nothing to do this season. But I think that there was something happening there on screen that while it wasn't flashy, it was very core to the emotional drive. I mean, Gabe... I think he's the Jon Snow of Stranger Things this season. Okay. All right. I think... think One one, one more thing about Stranger Things. I know we're moving on. Yeah. Uh, If you get a chance, go back and watch the first episode. Um, Watch the sweeping shot as they enter the mall for the first time. The scope of that mall. One tracking shot. Look at the detail, the costume design, the production design, the store names, the people... The characters, we start, there's one scene in this episode called The Mall Rats, where you start on the boys, then you get to the girls in a tracking shot. 
this show should not be this well done. Yeah, they do a really good it's job. Incredible. The Duffer Brothers are great. They're, the and they directed a lot of them, and then they pass over Sean so Levy. So Duffers right? did one. Duffers always do one, two, seven, eight. Okay. Sean Levy does three, four. Okay. And then they bring in a guest director for. So here's what I think is going to happen. Oh. Mark my words. Oh, I know. So four, four, three and four were Sean Levy. Four, five and six were Uta Bricewitz okay. uh, this time. Last season, guest director was Andrew Stanton, Wally, John Carter. Yeah. I think it's going to be the Russos this time. Yeah. You might be right. Yeah. I think I got a sense that when I met, sat down with them for the re-release that Joe and Anthony are massive fans. And then Joe and Anthony put out that tweet the other day of them yeah. shaking hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think but it's But they're doing happen. a season four for sure? It's, I mean, I mean, based on the, it makes sense. the quote unquote ratings. I don't think. Okay. I don't um, think. I think the next season should be the last one. Okay. Like how 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 much further can this show Speaking go? Speaking vaguely, they only have to just do the same season over and over. Speaking vaguely, since he hasn't seen it, <laughs> I don't think something that happened at the end of the season is final. No, of course it's not. Okay. okay. Uh, breaking news. Sorry, Gabe. Um, this has been revealed. A new character uh, from Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. <gasps> First look at the, <gasps> ooh, the, ooh, I want the toy. The Sith Trooper. Oh. This is a Sith Stormtrooper. That looks like a character that belongs in the Last Jedi. That is going to be a bit. No, he looks cool. No, do you remember that like, scene in the Last Jedi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Throne looks like to me. Well, this oh. is a, a toy that will be available at San Diego Comic Con. You can go to StarWars.com to get a look ooh, at Sean, it. Sean, buy it for me. I could buy it. Are for you it. going? I'm going. Yes, we'll be there next week. So it's going to make its debut at San Diego. Comic-Con. For Ooh. people who are playing along uh, at home with us, go to StarWars.com. That's not, that's not even the sound. That's not even the sound. Here, there's more. There are more images of it. Hold on. If I go down Ooh, here. Going. It's pretty fancy. Ooh. Sith Trooper in action. Heavily into the mic. He basically, he's a stormtrooper from the uh, First Order, and he's just red. <laughs> he's like a dark crimson red. Here's a kid outfit the, that you can get. Oh, I want that too. <laughs> Jake, you can fit into that one. I would imagine. Here's a helmet. Here we go. Oh, Ruby's Sith Trooper helmet. So uh, breaking news, Ooh, there will excited. be Sith Troopers in, uh, in Star Wars Episode Nine. forgot that movie's even coming out this year. Sorry. Uh, this week in movies, who saw Crawl? I, that is screen in Chicago, but I really want to see it. Though I think there's a bit of viral marketing happening in Chicago right now because there's a crocodile like, on the loose. Is there like a real crocodile? Like, yeah. Is there and, really? and it's like the story in Chicago oh, right now. Oh, that's kind of funny. Well, and, didn't Chicago and, already do that for Game of Thrones when I couldn't get out? because That's winter, true, too. Yeah. In April. God, so we yes. really go viral marketing in Chicago. And, and credit to my reps in Chicago are totally capitalized. So like all these people are going to this uh, this lake where this big crocodile is. Right. And my the reps for the studio are going there and handing out tickets to crawl. Oh, that's funny. It's br- like I, really I, funny. I, had to, I had to give them a shout out. It's brilliant cross-marketing on their part. Um, the reaction, I really want to see it. The reaction to crawl... It, did New York and LA a couple of days ago yeah. and was like overwhelmingly positive. Uh, do you guys have a cinema blend person? That's uh, Mike Reyes went to go see it and really likes it yeah. a lot. It looks for the trailer looks really fun. It does. Yeah. Like uh, uh, that's the kind of movie that like I, I'm totally down to go and just have a good time. Who saw Stuber? No, no one. No, no Stuber. Uh, I saw the art of self-defense. Ooh, I want to see that. It's funny. It's, it's super I dark heard a story okay. about where the premise of that movie came from. Okay. Well, the premise is that a guy is bullied. Right. It's Jesse Eisenberg. Um, bullied at work, very much an introvert, decides to take uh, karate classes and ends up at a dojo where the um, sensei is extremely intense, and but like comically hyper intense in terms of his training. And he raises Jesse Eisenberg to become this warrior 
uh, fighter. And then it goes, it, it kind of goes off the rails into really dark, surreal comedy. But it's very funny for what it is. I think Nicolas Cage would like this movie. He, if if Cage was a sensei, <laughs> like a like get God, in the cage he, type I'd thing. I'd love for Cage to be my sensei. I love Mandy. That would be, yeah, so it's heard, sort of like that. What'd you hear? I heard, so it's directed, written and directed by Riley Stearns. Yes, yeah. Who is the ex-husband of Mary Elizabeth Winstead? Okay, and the rumor that I read was that Mary Elizabeth Winstead left her husband okay. Riley Stearns to go be with Ewan McGregor while they were shooting Fargo. Oh, and that Riley Stearns got over this by like taking self-defense classes. No kidding, really. And that that's where this idea came from. I don't know if it's true, but I've read it in a couple of different I like that that's pretty that's interesting premise. I like that. Yeah, because if he's the Jesse Eisenberg character, yeah. uh is a lot of rage issues. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I could see Then again, like I said, don't know if it's true, but that's just that's, that's where I heard that the premise that from that came. That's pretty fascinating. Um so I would definitely recommend it, but you should know that you are getting into again something that is very dark, um surreal type comedy. Eisenberg is is really great. The guy who plays the sensei, I should look it up really fast, is very very funny. Um and it just it goes to some really really weird places, but it's worth checking out if you like that that type of humor. The last movie opening this week is called The Farewell. Um it's by Lulu Wang. Yes, uh it's supposed to be incredible. Um Aquafina. Yeah, is and the, the premise star of it. itself is interesting because it also introduced me to uh something about a culture that I did not know. Okay. Which is this idea that when an elder member of a family is dying in uh, their culture that the whole family gathers around them without necessarily telling them that they're dying. Right. Which I just think is, is really – so that's the whole – so so Aquafina's character is sort of emotionally torn because she's essentially saying we should tell her that she's dying because maybe she has some things she wants to say. Right, right. And the whole family's like, oh, no, you can't, you can't say anything. I just think that any movie that introduces me to a culture and, and allows me to see – um, just the world and it is, I learned something new about the world I'd never do before uh, I'm all for this was at Sundance it got incredible reviews I'm really intrigued and to she see is a her great actor yes. I love Aquafina. yes I really want to see her challenged yes in this way yeah. so uh that's out this week too. Kevin, you have not seen it. I haven't. You know, it's so weird to me. Like we do this podcast a lot, and I feel like we never see the movies that are coming out that week. It's, it's only because we travel. Like, and that's the thing. Like, like we're a movie podcast, but we travel a lot for work. So. If we're traveling to London for Spider-Man, we're missing an entire week of screenings. We've all seen Spider-Man four times, yeah, but we didn't that, see that, any of the movies coming but, out this week. Who else can say they've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? True. Nobody. Yeah. Well, let's transition to that right now then, too, because we can give our reactions to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and also the prep for Tarantino. Now, after the podcast today, we are going to do, uh, as Kevin was mentioning, one of our uh, geek out dinners to prepare our questions. And it's almost like mm-hmm. I was saying to the guys earlier. I'm getting a tightness in my chest as I I'm try so to nervous, think about man. because I think all three of us have always done this even independently before we even yes. knew each other. We think out how it's going to go, right? Yeah. You can almost structure what the questions and the answers are going to be. You almost know what type of response you're going to get and then I even think about like a, a 1 2 and 3 avenue of how to go down right. depending on the answer that you right. get. But with him and because we have 20 minutes it's it's oh it's over overwhelming. I can't get my yes. brain around 
how much we could potentially talk to him about because we all have eight to ten questions that we had written down before we even saw the film and now the movie we're constantly unpacking the movie from the minute that we saw it it's all we've talked about since we saw it yeah. and so the idea that we're going to get to sit down with him and discuss that movie and his career for 20 minutes is, is mind boggling I feel like a lot of people when I, when I hear a lot of comments on our podcast people love hearing about the process behind the scenes of how our interview process works yeah. and I think Jake Jake and I have had a lot of discussions about this we used to do geek out dinners all the time um, you kind of Go into an interview knowing what you want to get, right? And then you have to kind of reverse engineer it. We talk about the idea, like, for example, one of the things that I really want to talk to Tarantino about is um, the, what, the idea of why he stops Amanda Plummer's uh, mouth in Pulp Fiction while she's saying her execute line. What did in, she say? Well, I'm not going to say the line. <laughs> I'll execute every last one of you. But he stops her mouth. So uh, that's where I want to go at one point. How do I get there? And then we, and then I go, and then I talked to Jake about it yesterday. Jake and I actually had a geek out coffee session. Yeah, we, actually yes, already, before, we actually already did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. But I mean, like, then you go, okay, then how do I get there? So then I go, okay, how, what, what if I bring up all of his movie openings? <laughs> and that's the way I get to that point. Yeah. So it's almost as if, like, I'm not really, I'm asking him a question because I want to get to a specific point. And like with Tarantino specifically, one thing I think you brought up that I think was interesting about our process, and I think we can all relate to this. When we go into a junket room, we have four minutes generally. So we, I usually write five to seven questions just to have them there. And then you front load the ones that you particularly want to get to. But there's an order to them that you know if you open with this question, the interview will go better. Right. Yeah. So for It may not be your best question. Exactly. But it'll set the tone and potentially right. make your you question hope, you really anyway. hopefully you hope. will will change the attitude of the person so that the question you really want to ask, right. which is more of a dicey question sometimes, exactly. goes over a little bit smoother. So I'll, I'll give an example of this. Um, like recently um, I interviewed the Stranger Things cast. And actually, no, that's not a good example because the ultimate thing I wanted to learn was how they did the nose bleeding, and I opened with that. But, but generally speaking, you do open with a question that you know will go over well. Like if it's a fun to get everyone talking, laughing, and there's something serious you really want to get to. Like, I, like when I've interviewed Tarantino for Hateful Eight, I really wanted to get to Red Apples, mm. cigarettes, and kind of the, the usage of them throughout the years. But I didn't want to open with that. I wanted to. I wanted to get there. Yeah. And I think that that's tomorrow. I think we're, 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 we all have like five, seven, nine. I mean, I had questions. I've been rewatching all of Quentin's movies and, um, and it, it, it's over, overwhelming is a great word for it. I'm like, like, I, am I going to be able to get everything in? Right. Like, is, is there going to be enough time for me to tell him how much I love him? Right. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, there's like so much. And we all brought stuff. Like, I brought, like Jake and I brought our Hateful Eight roadshow pamphlets. I brought my 35 millimeter Kill Bill trailer. I brought my Mr. Brown Reservoir Dogs DVD special I think we edition. should. I was wondering, too, could we, um, and I, I, this is the first time I'm saying this to you guys, we have so much different memorabilia from like all of his movies. Could, what if, could we get like things to like prop it up yes! like, along the, like in the middle sure. of the table Jake. to kind of look like a little, Jake. like a little and we're all, tribute. Like and we're all a fan, wearing yeah, Reservoir tribute. Dog suits. Yeah. So the crazy part about this I've is got, cause I got the Pulp Fiction <laughs> soundtrack on yes. vinyl. Jake, I love this. Why don't we, I want the room. Oh, you did just buy it on vinyl. Yeah. Tarantino would, yeah. I'm getting goosebumps. Look at my arm. He would. Tarantino walked in and saw that. Like, look. Yeah, I see them. Touch Kevin, them. Kevin, like, touch them. I feel like I feel like Tom Holland and touch his bumps when he's like when he's like <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the Peter Tingle looks like that. Someone get a photo of this. The, the, the Kevin Tingle. tingle. <laughs> <laughs> the Kevin. T- no, but I love it. I'm not. I'm not joking. I love this idea. 
I think we should have our stuff on the table. Not just like scattered, but like, pr- like propped placed. up to look nice. But then we tell them. Almost like a junket. This is our personal stuff. Yeah. Right, we brought this. That we wanted yeah. to show you yeah. how much we love you. And, and we're not, we're not. And he looks and goes, there's no Jackie Brown stuff here. Oh, <laughs> He's looking for, where's my best friend's birthday? Where's, where's Kill Bill Volume 2? <laughs> <laughs> and a single tear rolls down Sean's way, face. A, a testament to our listeners, by the way. Um, one of the bits on our show for a long time has been the Kill Bill debate. And I think one of the which qu- shall be addressed, which is funny to me because when we announced who we were speaking with, <laughs> hopefully, knock on wood, whatever yeah. some wood is in this room, um, I can you, let me knock on this wood real quick. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Um, <laughs> superstition. Um, but the, a lot of the tweets we're getting back to our Twitter accounts are, "Are you going to address this question?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just shows how dedicated our listeners are, right, right. especially your mom. Well, they're all my mom, but I mean, like, uh, but I mean, just saying, she's super dedicated. Like, you know, what I mean, then she's creating all these Twitter profiles. She's Kalina. She's Carrie. She's everybody. You know what I mean? All right, reactions. Um, Shout out to them because they're awesome. This fans. is so hard for us to do uh, because we've done. We've literally been doing this since we walked out of the film, which is immediately comparing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to his other films, and you do that with Tarantino because a, there's only nine of them. How many? You heard me. Nine of them. Uh, to assess, essentially. And you, Kevin, even is like putting Jake on the spot in the Uber to our poor Uber driver who had to listen to us analyze this. I'll be like, all right, rank them right now. Like, rank them. And um, I'll I'll go first and I'll say that that to me, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood immediately goes into a top three of his films for me. And because he has two that are on a pedestal that they'll never come down from, which is Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. But I argue that Bastards got there. Yeah. The, I you, think Jake agrees with me, You make that though. argument that Bastards got to Jake, the level of... I'm, I'm letting Sean speak. No, I know, but didn't Bastards get to that level? Of what? Dogs and Pulp? No. Okay. All right. Continue. But, but no, it, I mean, I like, I like Bastards more than Dogs, um, but oh. Pulp is a different level for me. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, to me, those two movies, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, are like not only can he not touch them, like no other filmmaker is going to t- like they're they're so far above. So to compare when when if you were just like, well, is it as good as Pulp Fiction? Well, no, of course it's not. Like it's never going to be that lightning in a bottle. Um, and and we've had a lot of conversations in terms of what we like to get out of Tarantino's right. movies, and which I feel like I've learned a lot about the, the three of us, four of us over the last twenty four hours in terms of really what it is we're looking for out of Tarantino. Because yes. I think Kevin and I are a little bit maybe more on the same page. I think so. In terms of what we are, which is more present more present when we um, reveal what our favorites are. So I loved, to me this is a very um, reflective, I keep saying it's a very reflective movie by Tarantino because it's a tribute to uh, Los Angeles as a city at a, at a very specific time in the late 1960s. It's about the turnover um, in, in the industry um, from... Uh, television and westerns to a new style of acting where the, uh, DiCaprio's character has had success over the years, kind of feels like he might be at the end of his run, is giving other opportunities to succeed uh, both on television but playing the heavy every single time and whether that's going to pigeonhole him or can he potentially go over to Italy and start participating in spaghetti westerns. Um, he reminds me very much of a type of actor that Quentin uh, gets credit for reviving uh, and has over the course of his career. So I understand why Quentin would sort of write a character like this. Um, it it talks a lot about uh, the, the film industry and just the amount of blood, sweat and tears that goes into producing something and how and, and the one commentary I'll say is that like 
I think Tarantino's trying to say in this movie that a lot of the more interesting things happen when the cameras are not rolling, like in between takes, on sets, when um, the messed up lines. just players, yeah, yeah, day players are, are just killing time on sets, comparing what roles they almost got, um, what pro- age you hear from this person and this project, what is your approach to this? It's, it's a really in-depth nuts and bolts how movies are made, and I think only Quentin can sort of tell that story. It doesn't have the over-the-top explosive violence that you have come to expect from like Django and Bastards, his most recent ones. So to me, I can see some people going to go see it and, and maybe saying it's a little bit too slow or too long. It's two hours, 40 minutes. I think that's worth pointing out. Um, Kevin says it felt like an hour. I totally agree with that. Goes Gabe, by so fast. Gabe brought up an amazing point. He said, you could take an hour out of that movie um, and it, it might be the same story, but it would be it wouldn't be the same film. Like you appreciate the amount of time that he spends in it. He lets you breathe. Oh, 100%. So you are just sitting there for a long time with characters going through dialogue. Yeah. It's very, I mean, if you you think about it, he's been doing that for a long time. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes in Pulp Fiction is when they get to Brett's apartment and Tarantino brings us to the doorway with Jules and Vincent and then they go, it's not time yet. He keeps the camera Mm. at the doorway as Jules and Vincent walk away down the hall, like 30, 40 feet from the camera, and we just listen to them talk about foot massages. Yeah. yeah. So like like that's the style of, in my opinion, the 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 way he lets you sit in a scene with these two hitmen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So replace hitmen. Like they have to get into character. Yeah. Right. Like the fact yeah, that they like the fact that kind right. of their badassness that's a great is point. almost right. not fake, but like put on. Right. Like, let's, let's get scared. Like they're right, acting. Come on. Like right. we're like, stop talking about burgers. Yeah. Dude, you just yeah, blew yeah. my mind. I didn't even think about they. They do say let's get in the character. Yep. And then they go up and they ring that doorbell and then they're. Because remember, even at the end, Sam Jackson says, "You know, I used to just spew out that Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. I didn't bullshit. know what it meant. And they, like, like, yeah, and that was part of his character. Right. He would just Shepherd. throw it out there. Right. Now, such I, an interesting, yeah, pit. Like, I have a question. This is a sidebar. Do you think when I've always wanted to know this? Do you think that when Jules says to Brett? My girlfriend's a vegetarian. I don't get. I don't get to eat meat much. Pretty much makes me a vegetarian. Do you think he's lying? Is that a story he's telling? That feels. That feels authentic. Or, or do you think it's his character? Yeah, I, I, it feels genuine. That's probably. That, that, that's probably I, I feel like to me that it's sounds so like a specific. joke he's made a thousand times. Yeah. Oh, so imagine. you don't think he has a girlfriend who's a vegetarian? No, I do. Oh, you do. I feel like that's that's something that he's said to a thousand people. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but but kind of going off what you said, Jake, it's kind of making me question that scene. Now let's get in the character. You know who really doesn't change in those scenes is Vincent. Right. He just kind of he's stays. Very in, he's very chill. Mm-hmm. Jules is the one who kind of like goes into hyper mode. Yeah. He's the pitch man, basically. Yeah. He's the one who leads through it. So, um, Jake, where'd you fall on? Uh, uh, I absolutely love this. Movie. Oh, wait, do, are you? I'm sorry. I, I, I'm done. Yeah, but, yeah. but but but, but your ranking. So you go. Where are you at? Uh, pulp number one by a long shot. Uh, Reservoir Dogs two. And uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 3, my fourth one, believe it or not, is um, Death Proof. I love, I do love Death, Death Proof, Proof for what it is as it's stripped down, uh, th- sort of thrilling, you know, unapologetic, no holds barred. Do you know how brutal it is in Death Proof when he just gets into that accident with the girls without being in the roll cage? Oh, yeah. That's, that is one of the most brutal Things, which I'm surprised you like that movie because that's like, like that that's extreme Tarantino but violence. That it, it's violent, but it's also so suspenseful. But it's hyper violent. Oh my god, it's super suspenseful. The girl's leg out the car and it flies off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's. I'm it, trying to decide if I want to get into this. It is extreme. Uh-oh. Why do we say Death Proof and not Grindhouse? 
Oh, so that's an interesting point. So because, like, in, in, I'm with I, you I, on I that. I asked that question well, in the but vein Rodriguez of is Kill Bill. Tal- t- uh, but Plan- planetary. Well, Tarantino the directed Death Proof. The same umbrella as Kill no. Bill. No, 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 no. Like, um, but that's two was, directors. It's two directors this is making different. a double feature, I would I will say. say this, and to Jake's point, Grindhouse was an experience that we all had as one movie. Yes. Yeah. And it will it always be. released as one movie. And, I, and it was released as one movie. And then the DVD, yeah. they split into two. Yeah, but I have, but then they re- I have the final too. one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a black case, yeah, you open trailers. it up. Yeah, and, and you get the don't trailer, you get the Thanksgiving, and then you get like um, Werewolf of the SSS, yeah. whatever it was. I think yeah. that's Rob Zombies, right? And then yeah. Edgar writes. Um, I think Death Proof is, you're allowed to say Death Proof because it's Tarantino's movie yeah. in within the, because Grind- Grindhouse technically is a double feature, right? It's a double yeah, feature yeah, yeah. by Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. So they're acknowledging. Yeah, is it on IMDb? Is it listed as Grindhouse or is it listed too individually? As- I bet you it's Death Proof. It's, yeah. I bet you he's Death Proof on IMDb. I think but, so. And, and it's funny because it's funny you bring up Kill Bill. It's actually a very interesting point because in our argument of Kill Bill, you would argue that Death Proof is, is part of Grindhouse. Right. But like, Grindhouse. Because my argument is intent matters. But Grindhouse actually is being billed as a drive-in double feature with That's two fair. different okay. directors. Right. You know and what Grindhouse me? is more is the experience. experience. What bothers me a little bit about Death Proof in terms of Tarantino's filmography is that if they didn't agree to do that experiment at that time, it would I never wonder have if happened. He, right, if he would have made he would have he would have made that movie oh. or if he was inspired to make that movie because he and Rodriguez said Let's do a weird double feature. Death Proof wouldn't deal. exist on its own. Yeah, Death Proof to me feels like one of those, and and this is one of the things I want to talk to him about tomorrow. One of those mini ideas that he's had. Yeah, that, like probably would have never come to fruition. Sure. Like Vega Brothers. It's an or, hour and a half, yeah. right? Like the Death yeah. Proof is so oh, pretty. It's long like, enough. Yeah. Sure. But whenever they came to the idea of Grindhouse, he was probably one of the first things. Like, oh, I've been thinking about. It. Like, it would have been cool. But yeah, I right. agree with you. Without Grindhouse, we never would have seen Death so Proof. So for someone who has a definitive, I'm going to make ten films. Right. You know, I hate that one of them was a half of a movie, kind of, or just like a burn off like I'm not really passionate about making this I'm sure he was but it's not like I'm you know, they always say like you should go into a project like I'm gonna die if I don't get to tell this. Story. I love Death Proof. Does he feel though. that way? Does he feel like if I didn't make Death Proof, my career would be not you know complete? Kind but of Death thing. Proof is like it's very like, signature Tarantino though. Oh, it is. It's, but he it sure cared less about Death Proof as a movie and more about. Grindhouse experience because if so many of his movies are love letters to a type of genre that he grew up loving, he grew up loving grind the Grindhouse drive-in theater. So he just found he found a story that somehow fit that absolutely idea. I think he's proud of it as an idea more so than probably a movie. My last thing out of Death Proof though, Death Proof's a really good movie. We can ask him tomorrow. My last thing that I'll say on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that it is the most personal um i feel of tarantino's films i I feel like i learned more about him individually and his opinions about um film the industry la uh in particular than i have from any of his other films which one of the things we've been talking about is like you know with bastards it's world war ii and the nazis and with uh django it's the slave trade and and these topics that i couldn't relate necessarily relate to and i feel like not it's not this isn't an autobiographical film by any stretch but i feel like i saw more of a window into tarantino through this movie than i have in his previous films yeah so. i mean that's that's the point exactly i was going to make was that so many of his other films are love letters to genres right. to, to to movies to cinema i mean they they are uh, the work of a guy that grew up working in a video store sure kill bill is that yes for sure this is the work of a guy who became a man on a film set yeah yeah. Um, and it's, you know, we've gotten so much, so many different opinions and perspectives about his idea of films. And this is the first time I feel like we're getting his opinion on filmmaking. Mm-hmm. 
um, and and really the ups and downs to it, uh, the 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 ridiculousness of it, as you have you as you've pointed out, and how it's just you know, and and it's something I even feel weird telling people about you know just like the junket world and how like you know it's not always as glamorous as you a lot of times it's us hang, kind of hanging out in hallways yeah. you know like if I were to make a movie about the junket world I would emphasize how ridiculous the, the us hanging out in hallways like a, like a line of cattle yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so I feel like that's kind of the same attitude is it like look yeah. like yes it's glamorous and it's fun it's fantastic but like it's also really stupid right, sometimes. Right, right. And I love how much he goes into that. Um, it's the most un-Tarantino line. Like, there was a point halfway through the movie where I really had to readjust what I thought this movie was. Mm. Um, it's the most, like, it's not super stylized. It's not ultra-violent. It's, the, you know, I, I worry for mainstream audiences who are going into this movie hearing Tarantino and then hearing Charles Manson yeah. that they're going to expect this super action, ultra-violent, crazy right. movie and it's not. Right. I mean, Manson is a is a small peg in a very big uh, portrait of what this movie really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it, this is a film that I've been processing for hours now. So I, I'm I'm a very huge Tarantino fan, as as we all are, and I think that this film, Tarantino's never never made a bad movie. This is a very 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 good movie. Um, I am still processing a lot of what I think of the scope and scale of the entirety of it. But I will tell you this. Brad Pitt's best performance, in my opinion, ever is Jesse James. I think this one is now his best performance of his career. Wow. Um, wow. I think that DiCaprio's best performance prior to this was Wolf of Wall Street and Basketball Diaries. I think this is DiCaprio's best performance alongside Wolf of Wall Street. Dang. So performance-wise, we know Tarantino pulls it out of every actor. Um, those aspects to me, and I can't really get into other things. Gabe and I had a, a very big geek out session last night over a shot in the film that we loved. Um, it is the, it is, Jake makes a great point about the earlier films being love letters to genres, this being the love letter to filmmaking. Um, it is a very different film for Tarantino. It's Robert Richardson cinematography is unbelievable it is perfect uh as you sit in these cars with these like to me that was one of the coolest things about watching this film we saw we saw it in 35 millimeter and one of the things i want to talk to him about tomorrow is the use of different film stocks we go back into watching earlier 50s tv shows that clearly were shot on 16 mil 8 millimeter they have four by three aspect ratios they're not you know it's really cool to see him mess around with that stuff um and And you know he's having a blast right you know what i mean i could see him with the eight mil camera getting all excited and 16 millimeter like Tarantino to my knowledge I don't think has ever shot on that format I think my best friend's birthday might have been 16 mil um, have you guys seen my best friend's birthday no so it's a it was a 69 minute film that he shot while working at the video store it was the first script he ever wrote 33 minutes of it was burned up in a fire the other oh. 30 minutes exists on YouTube um, and a lot of the dialogue in that film you'll see repeated in true romance really um, and so that does prob- it make sense? Does, does the remaining? It's weird, but it's but it's like watching it, knowing we know Tarantino now. Yeah. That's Is he in it? it? Yeah. Oh no, actually, yeah, 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 yeah. It's black and white. Yeah, yeah. The um, I'll pull it up on. It YouTube. was his clerks. I haven't seen it since college. I'll pull it up. Um. Anyway, so I'm try- I've only ever watched it once, and it was. It, I know that the majority of it was burned up. Let me see my best friend's. It takes place in a video store. Let's see my best friend's birthday. Um, but get, I'm just continuing 
here with what I was saying. See, here it is right here. Actually, I don't know if Tarantino is actually physically in it. See, it's 36 minutes of, 36 minutes of it exists right here. Well, we don't have to watch it right now. We're not going to watch it now. I'm just, I'm just showing you what it looked Gabe like. Gabe is freaking yeah, out. I know. It's okay. No, no. I'm just, I'm just going to show you how it looked like. Gabe See, is wrapping a short Gabe, film. By Quentin Tarantino. It's like this It looks old, like Gabe. Right? It doesn't look like Gabe, right? Is that right? Eli Roth? No, this is like 1987. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? That's why he's trying to rap because he doesn't want us to know that he's actually been like, okay, friends with Tarantino so the for years. Actor is Alan Garfield. I don't know if Tarantino. Make, I can't remember if he makes it. Uh, Alan cameo. Garfield is Gabe with the letters rewritten. It is. It's a I, what's that? I, you know what's weird? <laughs> yeah. I remember watching that in my college dorm room townhouse. <laughs> Seriously, I remember watching it on my la on my PC computer on Windows. And watching it on YouTube, and like this was like right at the height of Kill Bill. I yeah. found out about it. Uh, this particular movie. Anyways, uh, going back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like that love letter aspect of filmmaking. As Sean said, it's funny because this movie sits and breathes a lot. You are within moments a lot, and it's kind of cool. Like just sit there. Well, a lot of them pay off. A lot oh, of them do yeah. pay off later on. Um, Margot Robbie is phenomenal. Yeah, Sharon Tate. I want to give a shout out to Timothy Oliphant. Right, right. That performance and Scoop McNary, I, these are like little performances that just blew my mind. Um, we're going to stay away from spoilers. Oh, totally. I am still processing this film. I loved it. Borderline loved it. I don't know where I stand fully yet in regards to rankings. I want to see it again. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, we had teased earlier uh, in the podcast that we were going to have a spoiler-filled conversation with Ari Aster the director of Hereditary and Midsommar. So why are we waiting? Let's go to that right now. Um, this is Ari Oster discussing his really weird and disturbing uh, horror film. Horror? Horror yeah, film. I guess yeah. I'd call yeah. it a horror film for sure. Uh, and, and his weird and disturbing short film, which if you haven't seen, is also on YouTube. Yes. Tarantino is it, in the movie. Is he? Uh, yeah. There you go. All right, anyway, here's Ari Oster talking about Midsommar and his career up to this point. Beautiful. Ari, uh, I kind of want to go back to the beginning and uh, and talk about the strange thing about the Johnsons, which is your short film. And it's it's one of the most insane things I've ever seen in my entire life, because I love not just watching your films, but watching people's reactions to your films. And I'm curious, whenever you made the strange thing about the Johnsons, what were people's initial reactions to that short film? Because it is so uh, uh, incredible and, and intense, to say the least. Uh, and then did you learn anything making that short film that you brought over to Hereditary and then Midsommar? Um, well, uh, I guess the answer to the first question would be that um, people who knew me uh, tended to find it funny. Uh, and then I guess people who didn't know me were mostly confused, um, which which was, I guess, the, uh, the objective. Um, I, uh, you know, I... I made that film while I was at the American Film Institute, uh, and um, you know I love AFI, and, and uh, I, I I I I learned so much while I was there, um, particularly because it, it's a school that uh, that encourages you to learn through actually you know practicing the uh, the craft, um, and so you make a lot of films while you're there. But it is also a school that kind of they modeled themselves after the industry in a way, and, and a lot of the, the the films that I I was seeing while I was there um, that they were sort of championing um, from from their you know I guess their past were uh, 
kind of uh, like very, you know very politically correct like um, like Oscar movies, <laughs> um, and a lot of them had won like Student Academy Awards, um, and you know there were a lot of films that you know are about like you know for instance. Um, uh, inner city youths or, uh, or, um, or just, you know, th things that ultimately, you know, were about like certain experiences that weren't necessarily reflective of the, you know, the filmmaker's experience. And I, I, I was just thinking like, what is like the worst thing I could make here? <laughs> <laughs> what, like, what, what, what could I do that would just like, like, what's like, what's the worst movie you could make? And then I just thought, well, you know, a son a son molesting his dad like that. That'll do it. That shouldn't exist. Um, <laughs> and then from there, you know, the, uh, the challenge became like, can I make that compelling in any way? Like, can I, and, and can I remove the tongue from the cheek? Like just enough to, uh, to, to confuse everybody. Um, and so that, that was, uh, that was sort of the engine behind that film. And then, um, I guess, you know, I, I, I guess, I, I guess I'm, I worked in a, a similar way on, on Hereditary and on this one where I, you know, I'm kind of working towards a certain catharsis that maybe, um, uh, that, that, that maybe feels inevitable in some ways and, and feels like, uh, a genre payoff, but but hopefully it it plays as uh, emotionally surprising, and uh, and something that you have to may maybe wrestle with after the fact. Well, we have been, yeah. <laughs> believe me. Um, I definitely want to skip to the construction of the commune. Um, the commune is such a fascinating set, and. This is something that we're going to run second week. So people who are listening to this, we're hoping have seen it and want to come and get some questions answered too. But it's not just a location that I assume you can go to and find and it's existing someplace. It's very deliberate in its design. So I'm curious how long it took to put together um, the house where everybody slept, um, the, the triangle temple, the yellow triangle temple, uh, all of these things that are so important to where the story goes um, and the little intricacies in the design of if everything written on the walls and how important all that stuff is. And also, when did you first show it to the cast? Did, did, were they part of it as the designer? Was, was it revealed to them as they were in character? Can you just talk about, about that in general? Right. Well, um, so everything in Horga, which is the community that these, uh, these Americans visit, um, was built from scratch, uh, and the way I work is that I shot list the whole movie before I even talk to anybody on the team, including my cinematographer or production designer. Uh, and that's just so that I have the movie in my head um, so that I, I know how to talk about it. And, and then I can, you know, pull, pull, uh, pull my department heads on and, and, uh, and then I can, I can put the movie in their head and then we can have a dialogue. But uh, we, we knew that if we were going to, shoot Midsommar in the summer that I would need to, uh, that we'd need to begin scouting while we were still finishing Hereditary. So while okay. I, while, while I was in post on Hereditary, I was writing the shot list for Midsommar and then we were scouting in Hungary. We never would have been able to shoot it in Sweden because this is 
uh, a low budget film. It's relatively low budget at least. Um, and, uh, and so we needed to stretch the dollar as far as we could. And, um, Sweden is a very expensive place to shoot. Their labor, their labor laws prevent people from uh, shooting longer than eight hours a day. Um, and so, uh, we knew we had to, to shoot the film elsewhere. Um, so, uh, so, um, the reason it was important for me to do the shot list in advance of actually uh, scouting was because I needed to know what the geography of this place was, where each building was in relation to the other buildings, um, and uh, and we needed to find a field that would accommodate that. Um, and so we were just looking for an empty field that would work, and we ultimately found... Uh, a very wild field uh, whose grass was, you know, taller than I am, which isn't that hard. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, which isn't that hard to find. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, 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 so we found the place and we cult- uh, we cultivated the field and we had two months to build a 10 building village. Um, some of these buildings were three stories tall. Um, and so it was a very, very, very accelerated uh, pre-production period. I was uh, I was doing press for three weeks on Hereditary, and then Hereditary finally came out June 8th in the states, and I was in Hungary on June 9th. Wow! And we and then we we began shooting the first week of August. So it I it's it's hard for me to even really distinguish between the making of Hereditary and the making of Midsommar. That's amazing. Ari, uh, I am blown away by the way you use a camera as a leading character in your films. Uh, I think that you're one of the few filmmakers who's able to let audiences appreciate the filmmaking that goes into your movies, but also never lose the suspension of disbelief in the story that you're telling. Um, and, there's a couple, uh, so I guess I'm going to jump into this question real quick because it's kind of a two-parter, but based off of what Sean just said in regards to the buildings you built, uh, where the characters slept, um, there's a shot where you pull out a little bit and show the entirety of the sleeping area, and it reminded me almost of the little building, of the little houses that Tony Collette was building in Hereditary. Was that a bit of an homage shot, or am I just kind of reading into that based on your filmmaking because you pull out and you see everyone sleeping a little bit and it almost looks like it's a, like a set piece or like a, or like a built, like someone built a little house. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I can't say that anything in the film is a deliberate homage to hereditary. <clears throat> if anything, you know, I'm, I, 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 you know, I was trying to avoid repeating myself, although I couldn't really put that much energy into avoiding anything given that we had to dive right into production and I had written this script, you know, five years ago. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I've always had a thing for miniatures. Um, yes. And I love building sets. Uh, the, uh, I, I especially love building sets because it allows me to, again, to, to create a shot list. Um, where you know I can map out the blocking of the actors and then uh, the movement of the character, uh, sorry, the movement of the camera um, in relation to the actors, um, and then we can you know kind of uh, design spaces around all of that. So the so you know uh, the joy is in is especially in creating these spaces that allow us to tell the story exactly you know the way we want to. Um, 
And then beyond that, um, which is one of my favorite parts of making a movie is, is creating a world and, you know, in world building and, uh, um, gosh, I, I don't know. It's, it's very, you know, I'm, I mean, I, I try to not be too self-conscious about it. And then, you know, you make certain decisions that you worry, you know, might be a little indulgent, but, you know, but you just kind of have to lean on your instincts, you know, for instance, uh, the camera kind of, we have a drone shot here where the, where the camera uh, ends up going upside down. Yes, over the wow, sign. Great that, shot. That shot is amazing. Right. And, 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 and I was a little, I mean, I, I was a little wary of doing that only because it is like such, such, such a self-conscious move, but it also just felt appropriate. And so I... I don't know. I mean, so much of it is a, is is about like you know whether you indulge an instinct or whether you restrain yourself and um, and I I don't know. You try to find some sort of mediation between restraint and you know uh, and and indulgence. We vote indulge yes. every time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like those. Shots. I mean, the shot when you go, when you follow Florence into the airplane bathroom, that's one of the coolest shots I've ever seen. We, I know we don't have a lot of time left, but Jake, go ahead. I know you have another yeah, question. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm a huge fan of the horror genre. And one of my cinematic pet peeves is I feel like when a horror movie is made so well, critics and fans want to put it in a different category a different genre they're like oh no it's not a horror film it's a thriller or it's it's a drama about a family and i always go like no like like it's it can still be a horror movie and just be really good i'm curious if that's something that you come across something that bugs you or something that you've experienced uh with your films people wanting to take it out of the horror category because it is so good and classify it as something else (coughs) yeah i mean that does seem to be an instinct and i think that's because there are so many uh slapdash horror films because it is you know it's there are a lot of people who come to the genre very cynically because there is an audience for it and you know and 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 it it, it it's sort of it, 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 and they're easy to make uh i guess i guess a certain type of horror film is easy to make but for me you know when i think about the horror genre i don't i don't think about like you know the uh the the bad contributions to the genre i think about i mean there i mean i i mean this the genre is saturated with amazing films i mean gosh i it, 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 i even in the last few years you know i mean like you have films like the wailing and the witch and let the right one in which you know is a is about a decade old now, but uh, still a masterpiece. Yeah, it's it's in, it's incredible, and, and and I mean, but but that's also nothing new. I feel like I, I keep hearing about this, like you know, this this renaissance. But I wonder when there hasn't been a renaissance. Even you know, even when, uh, even Psycho and Rosemary's Baby and Alien, and I mean, you know, don't don't look now. Like all these films are you know supposed exceptions to this like this rule that, that, that doesn't make much sense to me. Um, I, uh, you know, I consider myself a genre filmmaker. I've been asked before, like, do you consider yourself a horror filmmaker? And I feel like I've been misconstrued by a lot of people because, uh, I, I've, I've said no to that, but I, I've said no because I, I love many different genres and I hope to play with many different genres, 
many different genres, but you know, I mean, do I consider Hereditary to be a horror film? Absolutely. Like that, mm-hmm. that, that, that's what I was trying, trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this movie, I, um, if I had to categorize it, which, um, which is something that happens when you're doing press and you find yourself avoiding it, but, but then, <laughs> but then at the same time, you find yourself kind of compelled to help steer the conversation a little bit. Um, uh, I, I see the film as being more than anything else, uh, a fairy tale. Um, but you know, uh, but that's also not to, uh, to separate it from the horror genre because it is, it's, it's absolutely a, a contribution to the folk horror subgenre. And it's, uh, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's leaning on certain tropes, um, and, uh, and kind of, you know, uh, leaning on, on a framework that, um, that is so kind of tried and true that, um, that, you know, part of the fun was to treat a lot of these things as a given and, and, you know, come to this inevitable place that again, hopefully feels, uh, Again, to repeat myself, emotionally surprising. All right, we have uh, we have five minutes left, so we're gonna hit you with two rapid fire questions. Sean's gonna go real quick, and then I'm gonna go. We don't. Uh, we, we, go ahead, Sean. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with two rapid fire questions. I'll let Kevin finish. Um, do you think that the May Queen is always an outsider Ooh. brought to the village? Uh, no. But okay. but in this case, obviously yes. Okay. Uh, which is which is by the way a spoiler. I guess I should have maybe. Oh yeah, no, no. All of this is spoiler. All of this is spo- yeah, yeah. This will come out later. Okay. Um, and secondly, I paid extra close attention to the clothing um, of the Americans, specifically, and the two from London. Uh, did you dress them in darker and then sometimes gradually put them in lighter clothes as they got a little bit closer to the beliefs of the commune? Um, or am I completely overreading in terms of what you dress them in? Uh, I guess my answer to that, which is slightly cryptic, would be that everything, like, we, 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 we over-discussed everything in terms of, of the costumes. So, um, so what you're picking up on, uh, I would say was intentional in a lot of cases, especially the way we dressed uh, Christian, actually, but uh, yeah, I'm. I, I I guess I should just uh, uh, nod at uh, um, Andrea Flesh, who uh, who did the costumes, and she did such an incre- an incredible job. Every uh, every item of clothing that you see the uh, the the community wearing, like any any given member of the community uh, wearing, um, was tailor made for them. Um, with uh, with different runic patterns uh, sewn into like embroidered in that that was actually designed for that character and so um, those runes and uh, and those hieroglyphs are uh, are unique to 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 them. 
That's awesome. All right, Kevin uh, has one last question. All right, for all right. Us. last thing for you, man. Um, I think two of the most incredible shots in this entire film. One is the overhead shot of everyone doing the dancing around that circle, which is probably one of the most masterful things I've ever seen. And then two, these overhead shots of when they pick up the forks and and start eating the food, all in that incredible order. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time, but do you mind talking briefly about how you orchestrated those two shots, like? Were they multiple takes? Did it take forever to pick up the plates and the forks? And what about the dancing? How did you achieve those? So we had like no time. Um, this was the most uh, accelerated shoot. Uh, I mean, I, it's only my my second feature, but it, it's I, I've never uh, ex- experienced a more intense logistical challenge than 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 uh, every day on this film. Um, uh, we we had 40 days to shoot, but because we were working with a Hungarian crew, most of whom didn't speak English, and and the fact that we had about 80 you know 80 background actors on, on any given day, we it, it took at least three hours uh, before we could uh, get off the first shot, um, and we were shooting French hours because we 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 were trying to you know make use of of the daylight as best as we could, and, and French hours means 10 hours a day no lunch. Um, so we're, we're, we're actually talking seven hour shooting days. Um, if you're, if you're, uh, only talking about like shooting time. Um, and on, on hereditary, you know, we, we, we built that house on a stage, uh, and I was able to shoot, uh, you know, we, we had 12 hour days, but I was able to go 14 hours if I needed to. Uh, of course that affects the rest of the week, but, but if we needed to, we could do it. So, uh, we, we, you know, our days were half as long as they were on, on Hereditary. Uh, so, you know, for instance, that shot, that overhead shot, uh, uh, the bird's eye shot of, of, you know, everybody picking up their fork and then we sort of tilt up along the table as everybody else, you know, uh, picks up their fork as it kind of sweeps along. Um, we were only able to, to do that three times before we had to oh move on. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, my God. That's incredible. So, and, 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 you know, I mean, uh, when, you know, when, when you're doing an entire scene in one, you know, unbroken, uh, uh, take, um, uh, you know, I, you, you typically need to get a lot of takes, um, because you need to see it on the monitor. The whole scene needs to be there, uh, because you're not cutting into it. Um, so the camera needs to hit its marks. The characters need to hit their marks. Uh, with, with a film like this, you're not only dealing with you know your your main cast, but you're also making sure that that the background actors, you know, in in the mid ground and the background and the deep background are all hitting their marks at the rate at the right time. So you know, we'd we'd have to go up to you know about twenty takes for for shots like that, but uh, but. Uh, you know, I, this was about as squeezed as, as it could have been. And so, so we, you know, we weren't able to really like linger in anything. Wow. That's amazing. 
Uh, Ari, thank you so much for your thank time. You, we thank really you, thank appreciate you. you joining the Real Blend podcast. Everybody, Midsomar is in theaters as we speak. We are not exaggerating in the least bit when we tell you it is one of the most original and fascinating films that you'll be able to see in theaters currently or probably this year. Uh, just getting insight into it from you has been remarkable. Dude, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank yeah, you, thank it's, you filmmakers, so it's filmmakers like you, Ari, that makes it exciting to go to the movies still. So thank you for doing this. Like We need filmmakers like you making these movies, man. Uh, well, thanks, guys. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much to Ari Aster for joining us here on the Ribble End Podcast to talk about Midsommar. If you guys have not had a chance to go see that film yet, go see it in theaters. I think it's definitely something that benefits from being seen on the big screen. Uh, so you can appreciate all of its um, uniqueness. It's the feel-good movie of the summer. <laughs> hey, that's it's a good, great Kevin. breakup movie. It's a, if, yes. you're, if you're going through relationship problems... Yeah, that's the this one. Is, to, this is it to perk you back yeah. up. I was just happy that the bear from the Revenant got his revenge. <laughs> Did he though? <laughs> he kind of, uh, kind of, kind no of a little bit, a little bit. Well, yeah, hey, we're no, we're we're, we're spoiler, spoiler, spoiler territory. Oh, that's right. But, but, but our but, guest but, has but, not but seen this it. show. Is spoiler talk? Yeah, no, I know. I didn't spoil yeah. it. I didn't say anything. The bear's in the trailer. So <laughs> yeah. I'm spoiler. If there's a bear in that movie. I'm going to be. There so is a bear. Oh, in the movie. There's a bear. It's in the trailer. That movie takes place in the middle of the summer. You tweeted about the bear. I'm going to be furious about the bear. All right, don't give me that. We are getting. We're getting into a. You did not. We're getting into the blend game. This week's blend game is Kurt Russell blend. We've been teasing it on social media, um, and because we're here in Los Angeles, all of us recording together, which we normally do in London, so it's weird to be doing it on the other side of the globe, we have a guest, a very special guest from the Cinema Blend family. Uh, Jeff Bacob is joining us to play the Blend game. I genuinely did not spoil it. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Oh, I know. I was just teasing. I'm good, man. It's good to be here. I got air horns and everything. Yeah, but Gabe doesn't like the air horns, so we can't do it anymore. I don't know how I'm supposed to follow Ari Aster and the best performance of Leo's career. No, like that was so, alongside Wolf of Wall Street. Alongs- yeah, yeah. Okay, now yeah. I feel better. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no pressure at all. Uh, Jeff does a very funny show on Cinema Blend's YouTube channel. It's called I love. First off, I love the title of it, Jeff. It's called Oh Great, It's Jeff. Oh Great, It's Jeff. Yeah. And like we that we pitched that as a joke, and then the minute we said it out loud, we were like, Oh wait, that's actually what we should call it. So. Right, uh, the, it's stuck. The whole thing is just an exaggerated eye roll at my expense, yeah. really. And so tell people what it's about. Very self-deprecating. Very well. Yeah. I've been I've been in LA for one year, so I'm brand new to this gig. Where are you from? I'm I'm from Fresno, the Central Valley. <laughs> I'm from Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Fresno Fresno is like the asshole of California. Like there's just nothing going on and there. We it's just actually lost all of our Fresno <laughs> audience. <laughs> hey, That's dude. Our number one like listening viewer area. <laughs> Damn it, Jeff. We were I, so big in Fresno. <laughs> I still love so many my meters hometown. there. <laughs> it's actually like they use it as a punchline in a lot of like Hollywood movies. Yeah, they'll they do. Like, yeah. They'll be like, I gotta go to Fresno because it's it's four hours north of LA. There's nothing to do there. Right. But anyway, so I moved to L.A. to take this gig with Cinema Blend about a year ago. Like, these three guys have spent many years interviewing celebrities. They're really enveloped in this world. I'm brand new to it. I have <laughs> no idea what the hell I'm doing. I embarrass myself on the regular. At first, it was embarrassing, and then I started realizing... Maybe this uh, embrace it. Yeah, maybe this makes yeah. for good content. It's, it's fun for us. Me to watch, fumbling my honestly. way through Hollywood and making an ass of myself. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's basically the gist of it. I run down Cinema Blend's top stories and give my hot takes. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Pretty much I just kind of like. Hot Jakes. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting the puns yeah. live. Yeah. I like you. Okay. Right here. I, I, so I have a question for you then. So we've been doing this long enough so that there are a lot of weird things about this business that we now, because we've been so embedded in it for so long, we kind of forget that they're weird. Like we kind of forget like they're just sort of normal for us. You coming into this, being within it just oh, within a year or so. Good question. What is the still a thing about this business that you go like, this is not a normal thing? Oh, dude. All of it? I mean, yeah, every aspect <laughs> of it. I feel like definitely that it's super bougie. You know what I mean? <laughs> what do you mean as we're recording in a Four Seasons hotel room? <laughs> right, so that's a great example. We're sitting and we complained about the size of the beds in said Four Seasons hotel <laughs> right. room. Well, you guys, for example, I know that Jake, you were you were in New Zealand, yes. right? You, you'd, so you did the Robert Rodriguez motion capture. Yes. So I did that too. And that was one of the first things I said during my interview with Rodriguez. I was like, why are you here? Like, why, why do I deserve you to be here, like, shooting a motion capture scene Dude, with me? Dude, I felt the same way, man. <laughs> oh, so you were there, too? Yeah, like, I felt the same way. I was yeah, like, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm, like, new to Cinema Blend. And you're, like, you're here shooting. Like, this is unfair. I'm 15 like, years into this. I felt the same way you did. So, so that, Seriously. So that kind of shit is On the flip side of that, I'm like, bonkers. why did it take me so long to get here? I deserve to be here. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> Two-time Best Hair Award winner, Jake Hamilton, damn it. <laughs> so really just those experiences. Like those things come up and I'm like, damn, this happened fast. So we like, sent you to Japan. We sent Jeff to Japan for the Detective Pikachu and Godzilla King of the Monsters, a dual press thing. And you got to interview Ryan Reynolds, right? Yeah. So when you walk into the room and Ryan Reynolds and, and it is this, we have this video up somewhere, right? Did we include it in? Uh, Jeff does the thing where he starts it where he'll be like, Ryan Reynolds, you know, like, cause Ryan Reynolds is across from him. Yeah. And most of the time the, the celebrities will just be like, Hey man, how are you? But Ryan Reynolds tried to say Jeff's name, but because he didn't really know all of Jeff's name, he went, right. Jeff is Jeff McCobb. Yeah. And Ryan Reynolds went, Jeff McCobb. <laughs> I know, I know exactly what he was doing because I play that game all the time. Yeah, like, you don't know someone's name, and, but you, get, oh, but you yeah. don't realize you don't know it until you get halfway and, through and someone's yeah. name. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds face it. He regretted doing it. <laughs> right. I'm use this thing. He was like, right. Jeff, Ma oh no, I'm in it now. I just, I feel like it's like, I feel like it's a fun, energetic way to start an interview. Like, if, like when I see Sean for the first time in forever, I'm like, Sean O'Connell. Yeah. You know, like, what's up, bro? But if I had like just met him, I might be like, Sean O'Connell. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, just trust me, I know it. I was getting there. Yeah, so yeah. he like trailed off toward the end, but I was still flattered. It was at least at least he got Jeff. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, it was I mean? huge. You know, actually, so one of my first interviews I ever did was with Julia Roberts for Homecoming. Look at this name dropper. Do, do you hear this? I'm oh my that's, that's, that's a name Wait, that was that names went out the window. What wow. are you doing, man? Bro, I'm brand new to this world. I've never I interviewed hear, her. I hear you guys dropping yeah. this shit off. For the record, we've just spent the last eight and a half hours bragging about how we're getting Quentin Tarantino, yeah. but he casually yeah. mentions it and we're like, how dare you, sir? Come on our show. So, okay, so... I'm sitting, so I was super intimidated, right? And I was like, Julia Roberts! And I was like, what made you want to take on this role? Because it's for television, it was her first television project. And she said, obviously as a joke, she goes, to come here and meet you, obviously. <laughs> and and I thought that was great, I thought that was hilarious, yeah. but like, you know, I'm new to this world. I probably shouldn't yeah. have said this. No, but seriously, Julia, answer the damn question. <laughs> <laughs> but my first reaction when she said that, she goes, she goes, obviously to meet you. And I said, do you even remember my name? And <gasps> I swear to God. And immediately after I said that, I was like, 
Oh, <laughs> that was the wrong thing to say. She she pauses. She looks me dead in the eye and she goes, Jeff. And I was like, oh. Oh, <laughs> I was like, God. thank God. And, and, and she's sitting next to her co-star with Shay Wiggum, right? Yes. I think that's his yeah. name. And Shay, when she looks at me and she goes, Jeff, Shay looks at her with his jaw dropped like, I didn't remember this fucking guy's name. Like, I can't believe you actually remembered this dude. And wow. for the rest of the interview, she just looked at him with a Mona Lisa smile. <laughs> but wow. that was, that was, no, seriously, that was good. you know, no, no, no. screw you guys. No, no, no. All right. No. I, I actually 80, like 84,000 no, no, episodes. Was, I like that. No, no, I did like that. It was a good I like that a lot, yeah, actually. It was very funny. It was very well done. Gosh, yeah, yeah. Backpack I, was, I wasn't crazy about it. <laughs> so the show is Oh Great, It's Jeff. It's on Cinema Blend's YouTube page. You can get uh, this type of humor from Jeff and experience yeah, I want to hear the, the Bobby, Millie Bobby Brown story. Oh, well, go ahead. Explain the Millie Bobby Brown story. Well, you guys can, if you if you go watch the show, you can see the interview in the first episode. But um, this is one of those things where, like, you wouldn't have seen it in the interview, per se. It's just like, I knew it was there. You yeah. know what I mean? But, um, so, as Sean said, I'd like to start with just, you know, Millie Bobby Brown. You know what I mean? Like, thanks for being here. What's up? Yeah. I'm yelling out her name, and I very clearly spit everywhere you know like when you say it don't spray it and it just comes out yeah, yeah, yeah. from all directions and i'm like super nervous sipping on water screaming at celebrities that are two feet in front of me and i just spit everywhere and i'm like certain that i just spit all over millie bobby brown's face yeah in the footage you can see her wipe something from her face yeah i'm still not sure she if does it, this i mean she so, does this with her finger she goes up by her nose and it, oh it kind of like rubs at her eye but it's but it is it looks as if She's taking spit off of her face that has landed on her face. It look, I mean, I, okay, so I don't know exactly if, I don't know if I spit in her face or not, yeah. but definitely. But we're the, just going to say you did. For, yeah. for the rest of the interview, it was definitely in my mind, like, you just spit in Lady Bobby Brown's face. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you're brand new to this world. You don't get that many interviews. You're probably her 11th interview of the day. Uh, right. Not really? Bad. That one we respond to? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. But she was, Thank anyway, you. she was, she was super very dope. Much. She didn't even react. She wiped it away and then we carried on the interview. Total like, professional. Never, total professional. And yeah. I was like, this chick's going places. There you go. She like, is. You know what I mean? This, this two-time Emmy nominee is going places. She's going to be I. <laughs> She's got some stranger things. She's going to be something. <laughs> nothing? <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> nothing. All right, this week's blend game uh, is Kurt Russell blend. And um, I've been told that I get to go first. By who? Yeah, who told who, yeah, you who, to go who, first? The show notes. Who makes this decision? We have show notes. I was told that we were in and out just now, that we had no show notes. Can listen to if you want to. I'm just kidding. Or Why do I need watch? show notes when I'm on the show? That's true. I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> by the way, uh, uh, pri uh, prior to this recording, Jake, myself, Gabe, and Sean were all gloriously, yes, beautifully wearing in and out hats yes. while scarfing down double doubles. We will post the photo it was on a beautiful. How many double doubles did I have? You had two. I had two. He yeah. won't stop talking about that's it. That's a quattro quattro. When they showed up, when they showed up, they all smelled like onions and grease. It's like, welcome to California. So basic. <laughs> so beautiful. All right. I am going with Big Trouble in Little China. Nice. Uh, just such an important movie to me as a kid um, because it taught me how different movies could be. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great adjective for it. Uh, you get used to seeing a lot of the same thing, in, especially as a kid. Uh, you watch a lot of the kid same and family thing. movies. I'm not giving away your choice yet, but I'm thing. getting there. Yes. Um, and then you see something like Big Trouble in Little China, which where Kurt Russell gets to play a Han Solo-esque uh, 
anti-hero, of which I just, I, I love that type of character anyway. Um, and when someone who can play it as well as he can plays it, um, gets dropped into this bizarro adventure uh, that just keeps surprising you where it's going every step of the way. Um, it's one of the movies that I love so much that when I hear they're potentially thinking about redoing it, I get angry. Like, that's one of the ones where it's just like, leave it alone. You're not going to, you know, recreate what that movie is because, A, no one's Kurt Russell. Uh, the closest we might be getting to Kurt Russell might be Chris Pratt, but he's not even. So it's fun to see him with Russell in the Guardians films. But like that was great cast. Chris Pratt will tell you he's not Kurt Russell. Yeah, you know, and even though he was playing Kurt Russell in Lego Movie too. Right? Yeah, absolutely. He does yeah. a lot of that right. also too. So um, I was torn. I almost went Tombstone, but ultimately, if I'm going to choose, I went with Big Trouble in Little China. So uh, Jake is next, according to our show, show notes. notes. Um, I am going with one of the first movies that really introduced me into the horror genre. I loved it as a kid, and I progressively love it more and more as the years pass, which is the thing. Um, That's not my choice, by the way. Oh, it's not your choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that works out well. Um, I Everything about that movie, the practicality of it um, is just so genius. And what I really love, particularly about Kurt Russell in this movie, is that a lot of times we associate depth of a character with uh, backstory, needing to know a lot about a character and who they were and where they came from. Mm -hmm. But what Kurt Russell does in the things, we don't really know a lot about who he is, right. about where his guy, where this guy came from. But you learn a lot about him by how he uh, behaves under the pressure of this thing and how he reacts to this unbelievable type of situation that's been thrust upon him. So sometimes just just watching how someone reacts to something is just as valuable as years of building backstory and flashbacks and learning about who this guy was. Um, I, the thing I think is one of the all time great horror films. Um, I think is uh, just, and just from the opening of the dog to, you know, to the end of the, of the, of the two of them just sort of sitting there. Uh, I, it's just, it's just a brilliant film. And uh, Kurt Russell really, it's a more understated, probably Kurt Russell performance. But I, I love what he brings to it. It's two John Carpenter films. Yeah, I love me some John Carpenter. I mean, that, that's a great pairing, John Carpenter, Carpenter and, and, and Kurt yeah, Russell. And I feel like one that doesn't get talked about a lot. Right. I agree. Yeah, exactly. yeah you always hear Scorsese, De Niro, or yeah. De Niro, yeah, like things yeah. like that, yeah. All right, Kevin, you're up. Um, so this is this Which we is thought actually, you were going to pick the thing. I, yeah, and well, before the show started recording today, we were having jokingly arguing about our discussion we always have about favorite versus best. And I, I do genuinely think that his best movie there have been a part of is the thing favorite though is a different situation if we're going favorite um and i'm like torn i think backdraft is incredible mm. then i shot chicago yeah i think my ultimate favorite performance of his is probably death proof because interesting i, I just feel like tarantino was born to direct kurt russell in that role yeah it was just an amazing role. And backstory is, is something you bring up for the thing. I want to know who that guy is. Yeah, yeah, What's his story? Right, right, right. Right? So I... Stuntman Mike. He's so menacing and so freaking scary. Yeah. But so interestingly, weirdly charming at the same time. Well, and Russell's one of those guys who's instantly likable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Every single time you see him on screen, you want to be his friend. Yeah. Right? yeah. Whoever his You want him is. to like you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it the is, minute that he's yeah. a, a villain, you're you're thrown off. But he it, plays the villain like really well, though. Yeah. Like, but but he likes it, right? Yeah, he likes it. And I it. think that he owned that role. Yep. Like it was. I feel like Taron. I, I feel like what happened was Quentin Tarantino came along, and like 
he was meant to meet Kurt Russell right. and meant to make that movie with him. Right. Like Kurt was working his entire career to be able to play Stuntman Mike. Right. Not that it, it that like looks back on it and goes, that's the best thing I ever did. I just feel like like those two married together, the Tarantino and then that type of Kurt Russell character. Sure. You know, with the escape from New York, escape from LA character. I mean, he's he's he's, he's so good hatefully. Great character, great and great and hatefully. Um Death, uh, Death Proof, though, Stuntman Mike, I just I just look back and like that. that's the first thing I think about when I think of Kurt Russell now. But the, 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 the thing is the ultimate, the go-to, right. the best thing he's ever been a part of. Um, but Death Proof, personally, was... I, and this might sound strange because I grew up watching like Tango and Cash and stuff like that. Sure. I feel like Tarantino's direction of Death Proof with Kurt Russell... Opened me up to appreciating Kurt Russell more. I can see that. Does that makes sense. Like, yeah, like sure. I, I already knew he was a great actor. I already knew he was amazing in the thing and Escape from New York and LA and all that kind of stuff. But there was something about what Tarantino unlocked from Kurt Russell mm-hmm. in that movie that I felt like it was just meant to be. Yeah, I can see that. So that's mine. Jeff, welcome to the show and tell us your pick for Kurt All right. One. So I got to preface it accordingly. Okay. Right. Um, so Kurt Russell. Is he has a cult appeal, right? Yeah, sure. He's a cult actor. That's a great point. He's right? a cult actor, but also an A-list. That's true. That's interesting. That's true. You're right, though. He like he marries that world. I th- I would argue that the reason we're talking about Kurt Russell right now as geeks, as Tarantino. movie geeks, is because of his cult appeal. Okay. Right? Sure. And that would be because of John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. So um uh John Carpenter is great at camp. Um, uh, you know, uh, Escape from L.A., Escape from New York, uh, even The Thing, although it's horror, Big Trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. That's all John Carpenter. It's all camp, right? Mm-hmm. So these movies came out when I was, before I was born. Mm-hmm. So I saw these movies when I was like six years old. Right. And I didn't, I wasn't watching camp at six years old going like, oh no, it's it's okay that it's corny because it's self-aware. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I had no idea. That was when he was seven. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea how to make sense of that genre. It was just silly to me, right? But then when I was 18 years old, I went to see a double feature called Grindhouse okay. that, uh, was, that was marketed as camp, right? They're leaning into it, right? That's the whole concept behind it. It's based on these old campy horror films. And that's the reason that Kurt Russell was a part of it is because he's famous for these campy ass roles, right? right? Which and he just embraced that. And he yeah. embraced the hell out of it. Yeah. And I remember watching Death yeah, Proof in the movie awesome. theater and it blew my freaking Same, mind. Man. I was like, the way they leaned into the genre yeah. to, to, to the extent of the missing footage scene. Hell yeah, like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. During the strip this sheets. reel is missing. Oh, I yeah. love that. They even that's terror right. too during the sex scene. They go, yeah. theater management apologizes. We're missing this reel. <laughs> Yeah. I just love that. And his his uh, his suave creepiness, like, yeah. is it my scar? <laughs> like, he's just, everything about him is so charming and enticing. And so coming off of those older John Carpenter campy movies, it was really cool for me as a younger guy to be like, oh, this is that campy Kurt Russell that everyone loves, and now my generation has a film. Well, I agree cool. with you. That, that's, that. Like yeah. I said, that's what made me appreciate Kurt Russell Moore was the way Tarantino used him. But you mentioned the word charming too, and I think that's what made that character so fascinating to me is because he was so charming that you kind of hoped he wasn't going to go through with these horrifying things he was doing, and you kind of go, maybe he'll just stop here? And then, and <laughs> then you found he, yourself like making excuses for right. him. Right. Like, well, I like him, therefore, like he can't be all he bad. He can't be doing all this. And then, and then he does those crashing sequences. And it's right, like, right, right. But I, your thoughts are my exact 
thoughts on that? Like that movie made me appreciate Kurt Russell more. And that was in the heart yeah. of what Tarantino was doing with genre. So it was yeah. all by intention. He sure. knew exactly what he was yeah. doing. Right. He was recreating one of those old campy films. Who else is he gonna get but Kurt Russell? Right, you know what I mean? Right. It fell into place perfectly. I also think a lot of actors don't want to do those roles because they don't want to be um, thought of like as being that menacing or that evil. Well, even yeah. just that like, it, you know, you would never see has Harrison Ford ever done like a villainous role, right? Like, do, do people ever, would Hugh Jackman ever do like a serial killer type role? That would be dope, right? Yeah. It would just be unnerving because I think he doesn't want the public to ever even view Logan him. Was even like dark. Tom Hanks in Road to Perdition, he's a hitman, but like a hitman with a heart of gold. Right? Has Harrison exactly. Ford ever yeah. played a bad guy? I don't think he has. I mean, to he be was with kind you. of a. I mean, not a bad. What guy, lies beneath? But like a caricature. Oh yeah, what lies? What beneath? lies beneath? Yeah, I was gonna say kind of a caricature of a dick. Uh, in uh, in Morning Glory, oh yeah, but, but, he, but, but, but yeah, curmudgeon, curmudgeon. Even curmudgeon. in What Lies Beneath, wasn't that like a t like a twist? Like he didn't really play that character right. throughout the uh, film. Yeah, like he played. Spoiler the Spoiler alert for that's Zemeckis. <laughs> yeah, that's Zemeckis. That's the movie that's that Zemeckis, Zemeckis made in the break between Forrest Gump and you know, Castaway Volume One and Castaway Volume Two, because they had to take four months <laughs> off for Tom Hanks to lose the oh, weight and grow right. the beard. So yeah. in the break, he made What Lies Beneath. I prefer volume yeah. one. Yeah. Dude, that's bonkers. I'm, I'm more of a volume two guy. Really? Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Wait, when do we get to bequeath our gift upon Jeff? What is the gift? Because when you appear on Real Blend, oh. the Real Blend Twitter account follows you. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, I think, can we do it live right now? I will do it, sir. I will do it live right you now. You just got so one more follower, baby. You're only one of 16 baby. people that we follow. Well, the best part is we're going to get on his Twitter account and he's not going to have followed Real Blend. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh that's absolutely worst, not. No, I, <laughs> I, I'm rarely on Twitter, but I will now. So, Jeff, um, real quick. So, your videos, so Millie Bobby Brown and um, the Julia Roberts interview, are those part of, did you upload those as individual videos? Or are these part of like a sh the show itself? Like you actually interweave them into the actual show. Millie Bobby Brown uh, is part of the first episode and it was also uploaded as a segment. Got so it. we try to segment them. Uh, Julia Roberts hasn't been included yet. Oh. If you enjoyed that story, can you please? Gabe, well, I'm sorry, did, has Gabe not approved whether or not you can use Julia Roberts? Can I request the Julia Roberts video? I want to see this. Yeah, bro. I, I, I really. Yeah, bro. That story, I was like on the edge of my seat when, when, because Julia Roberts is a great person to interview, but she can be very serious. And when you said that to her. All I got so much secondhand embarrassment. <laughs> like, like, is she oh, gonna? Yeah. Like, but that was a man. Do and you then, know the tagline for Jeff's show is actually secondhand embarrassment? Is it really? <laughs> That's really good. It should be, no, though, right? Be, no. Actually, the tagline, can I swear on this show? Uh, we we already have. The, whole time, the, the, time, the tagline, because so. it's, you know, the title is, oh, great, it's Jeff, and yeah. then the tagline is... This fucking guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's basically. That's like your tenth f bomb. So you're fine. <laughs> yeah, is yeah, it? Yeah, I yeah, haven't yeah, even yeah, noticed. No, it's okay. I'm just, I'm just so excited, bro. I I, I'm the weird one who doesn't curse, uh, but I, and I'll just use like d word or you do f say that, words. Yeah. And and eventually we'll get to this on our show in another episode. But I would love to play that game we played it in and out of okay. deleting a director from the world if you had to choose between one or two. Okay. That's such a fascinating uh, discussion. And I'll tell you right now. Can I, also, too, I just want to say that the reason that I was so nonchalant about how I answered that question is because I <laughs> jumped in as quickly as I could because of Kevin <laughs> answered the who is Quentin Tarantino <laughs> yeah. 
we would still be in the parking lot of in and out <laughs> as he is progressing at this point. He would probably be transitioning Any from Pulp Fiction to Jackie Brown. Just now. And yeah. we'd all still no, be I'm sitting there. I'm in the burial scene in Kill Bill at this okay. point. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. she's getting out of the uh, coffin at this point. All right, yeah. so Jeff now has 91 followers. I want to point, <laughs> out, that, <laughs> I wanna point out that Jeff's Wait, Jeff's how many last am I following, tweet, though? <laughs> uh, 105. Oh, that's Jeff's Dude, you last, never follow more people that follow I know, you. That's, that's, that's I Twitter 101. Jeff's last tweet was dated February. February 15th, 2017. I can't wait for The Force Awakens. <laughs> Probably. It's a Fifty Shades Darker joke. <laughs> oh my god. Did you read it? I just realized that James Foley directed Fifty Shades Darker. No wonder the critics are calling it Glen Gary Glenn Ross with bondage. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, to be fair, how do you top that? I mean, you might, that you is mean, true. You, you, you go out on top. Do you guys remember? Unintended. Yeah. This is a stupid question because, of course, you don't remember, but in Fifty Shades Darker, the only reason I remember this is because I interviewed Jamie Dornan and I asked him this question. Jamie Dornan's character, Christian Grey, has a Chronicles of Riddick poster in his room. <laughs> yes, is that real? Yes. That is real. So, to be, it's so, a universal movie. I literally, you so, couldn't make up a writer poster. <laughs> so I said to Never Jamie Not Pitch Black, Chronicles of Riddick. Jamie, Riddick. Tell me, is Christian Grey a Riddick fan? Is that what's going on here? He goes... It's just because it's a universal property. And I'm like, <laughs> but of all the like, universal properties. Like Fast and Furious or something like, or Fifty Shades of Grey, or why did they put Chronicles of Riddick? And this guy's a rich playboy. Why does he have any I'm movie telling you, yeah, go. I, so How dare you, it's, sir? It's, it's, oh, no, no, he's it's not his, us. It's his, kid, it's his kid room. He goes back it's, home it's to his family's yeah, house. It's literally. That's not better. It's like, that's, it, but that's, <laughs> that's the context. I don't know what he does in his In his childhood bedroom is a Chronicles of Riddick poster. Yep. Wow. That's what. That's amazing. Yeah. That actually is my, one of my favorite pieces of movie. What if it was written into the character? Yeah, he loves Vin Diesel. <laughs> well, like no. he's just this gigantic Vin Diesel. I thing. asked um, the author about this, and she was like, "I could sense that there was like an embarrassment of like why that movie was chosen to be on his wall." Like, oh, that's I the, love it. I, I said, "You're the person who created." Uh, uh, Christian Grey is Christian Grey a Riddick fan? Yeah. <laughs> like, is that what did you write that? I in? did that once. We got to go into the set of the following, which is a Fox show with Kevin Bacon a few years ago. It's been canceled for a few years. Oh, I like that. But show. we got like an hour to just kind of walk around the set, and so I naturally what I, I did what I always do to any when I go to anyone's house is I went to the TV and went to the DVD selection, right. and I was like, oh, I wonder what. DVDs this particular character has, which I'm sure is some intern probably just grabbed. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. a bunch of romantic comedies <laughs> and no Kevin Bacon movies. So I did this whole bit with Kevin Bacon about like one, your character is apparently actually a softie, <laughs> but not a Kevin Bacon fan because he had no Kevin Bacon movies whatsoever. So it's always fun to kind of find those little details. But what in, the, what, in what world is Christian Gray? Like, someone had to make that bondage. decision. Yeah, as I'm saying, yeah. someone yeah. actively put that poster like, on the wall. They could have chosen Jaws. Right. They That's could have chosen like anything any countless, they wanted. Like, Universal yep. has Jurassic. Park. <laughs> they could have done anything. Yeah, sure. Like, like why Chronicles of Riddick? I, I think we're it. a small demographic of people that would really obsess over those Who details. That. that is a yeah. random yeah, yeah. move. Someone got up that morning and went, Let's put this poster on Jamie's wall. Yeah, I there love it. There was a meeting about it. it. There was it's an actual There was a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if, what if at that point they were like, come on, nobody's taking these movies seriously. Let's, let's <laughs> right. put, like, Chronicles yeah, like, of Riddick. Like, Someone's <laughs> like, put Pitch Black up. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. This is I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. I guarantee you, no one will notice. Kevin at the junket. Fuck. Is that a Riddick poster on the back? We're going to audience picks now for Kurt Russell blend. <laughs> Smooth. 
the KDP Wait, are we going to picks? says Sky High, which is terrific. <laughs> Sky High is great. If anyone hasn't I seen like that, Sky it's actually a really fun. It was movie. a fun really movie. Really good. Yeah. Uh, Cameron Flat says Death Proof. Does he have one of the most diverse filmographies? Oh yeah, yeah. For right. Sure. Because Kimberly Sue says Overboard, which is also terrific. My wife, People love I know Overboard. for a that's fact. my mom's favorite yeah. movie. Overboard. I know for a fact, Lauren would have chosen Overboard. Yeah, Lauren is obsessed. I actually love Overboard. It's great. That was the introduction of that dynamic duo, the Hollywood legendary and couple. they're still yeah, married. Yeah. I love They're them. not married. What? They're yeah, still together, together, but they're, they never got married. Oh, and get out of here. They think, they think that's a testament to a lot of their success as a couple. I, I'm going to name drop again. When I interview Goldie, yeah. she told <laughs> she we asked about drop. that. We said, "What's the success of your relationship?" And she said, "Aside from the fact that Kurt is a wonderful lover." Oh, oh. real talk. That's hey. what she said in the interview. She said, "We never got married." So that's a big thing. That's but they they of... raised kids together. She, she calls him Snake. <laughs> <laughs> he wears the eye patch yeah, in bed. Yeah, that's in bed, the yeah. success. Well, I, I have a question: <laughs> Who is Kate Hudson's father? Kurt. Wait. Wait. No, I no. don't think so. No, Goldie Hawn's her no. mother. It's someone else. Yeah, it's someone else. It's yeah. not Kurt. Kurt is like her dad. She yeah. calls him dad. Right. But who's but her actual her father? father? Gabe is going to look. Is it? But some, someone has to be something Hudson, right? Is it someone famous with the last name Hudson? Uh, they use all so many, so many different names. Okay. It's probably a st- stage name. Uh, okay. She's so good as, as Penny Lane in Almost Famous. We, God, we're, we're, we are we're so way sidetracked. Yeah, I, think, I, like, I like the off the rails. Uh, for next week, you can reach out on social media using... Do we have to? We're doing hashtag Anne Hathaway blend. Yes! So you can let us know your pick via email at realblend at cinemablend.com. Screw you guys. Can we just do Hathaway blend? On social media. um, What's wrong? She's an Oscar winner for. What is wrong with Anne Hathaway? I love Anne Hathaway. She's real life Rachel Berry. Should I tell my Anne Hathaway story? You have an Anne Hathaway story? Ooh, I have an Anne Hathaway story. How how have you never told me this? Hey, don't you speak ill. I have told you you my Anne Hathaway story. I'm waiting for Jeff to say, when I interviewed Anne Hathaway. (laughs) (laughs) So I spit in Anne Hathaway's face. (laughs) And then I slapped her. (laughs) All right, so next week, hashtag Anne Hathaway blend. Uh, Go to social media and share it with us. Go to email, uh, realblend at cinemablend.com. And, of course, you can always reach out to us with reviews, too, because we are still collecting reviews and reading them at the top of the page. We are going to do one more plug again for Jeff as we sign off. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Coming all over here to Beverly Hills and talking about the show. Oh, great. It's Jeff, this fucking guy. Thank you for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. It's a pleasure to be here, for sure. Uh, Outros, of course. Where can you guys find the rest of us? Jake is at at Jake's Takes. Kevin is at at Kevin McCarthy TV. I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. Go leave us a review over on the iTunes page. I've changed my Twitter handle, by the way. What is it now? I've interviewed James, Julia Roberts. This is my new Twitter I've handle. interviewed Julia yeah, Roberts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my new Twitter. underscores in between them? No underscores. No underscores? And yeah, no apostrophe. Please, somebody, yeah. please someone start that. I've interviewed please Julia someone Roberts. Start, someone go start the Twitter handle. I have interviewed Julia Roberts. Or when I was interviewing Julia Roberts. As a spoof of Kevin, please. And only put things that Kevin would post. You're going to getting more followers on the world than You're going to kiss it when it gets verified before you. Oh, God. That, that will happen, won't it? Uh, next week, Kevin Feige will be on the show. Maybe. Uh, Maybe. Yeah, if, if Gabe approves it, yes. and uh, as of now, we're even closer to sitting down we're with Quentin Tarantino closer. as part of the Real Blend podcast. So until we uh, meet again, we will talk to you guys soon. And Dunkirk, Dunkirk, Dun. Wait, wait, hit, hit it for me one more time. Dunkirk, and far from home. They do. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, is it homecoming?
The guy doesn't. Uh, uh, does he do it the, during the? Oh, he does it at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you guys just go for another hour now? Is that <laughs> kind of. Yeah. This is where, where Gabe like just pulls out the pistol. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big